Welcome, welcome, welcome to a special episode of the Marvel Cinematic University podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Jake Christie, and um, we're here to talk about a special event that's not a superhero movie, it's not in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it's as big of an event in film as anything else that we've seen in a very long time. You can tell by the title of this pod and just by the season that it is. So we're talking about the event known as Barbenheimer, the simultaneous release of Barbie and Oppenheimer. And joining me to discuss this is friend of the show and my compatriot in experiencing the Barbenheimer in one night, Michael Springthorpe. Springthorpe, how are you doing? Now I am become Ken, Destroyer of Worlds. Uh, I'm doing great. Yes, so we're recording this on Friday, June 21st, the official release date of both movies, but because we are absolute sickos, we saw both of them on Thursday night at a 7 o'clock and 10.45 screening, respectively. Um, Yes, I had work today. Yeah, I was was going to have work today, but in between me buying the tickets and seeing the films, I became unemployed. So this was the the first time I'm like, okay, this is actually working out good for me. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I I realized because when I texted you when the Barbie tickets dropped, because yes, I did have an alert set for Fandango app. Mm -hmm. Um, You were like, you were very much like, ugh, fuck it, let's do it. Because it was 10.45 p.m., Mm-hmm. showing uh on a weeknight and um mm-hmm. yeah didn't really fucking matter <laughs> no um i'll say this because i had to get home and edit the pod that ac recorded i would not yeah. have been able to do that if i was working um oh so. absolutely i i literally and i don't like you know i'll say this like i literally like scheduled out a couple messages that i normally send every morning on slack at mm-hmm. 6 a.m when i get mm-hmm. up every day Mm-hmm. I scheduled them for 6 a.m. at 1.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. so that I could sleep until 7 a.m. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think that there's been a lot of chatter about this phenomenon, the whole Barbenheimer thing. And also, I think you and I, yes, you and I have been on this for a long time. Like, we've been talking about the fact that these movies, like, I'll say this, yeah. in, in like, in film Twitter spaces, which is a bad place to be. You don't want to be there. But this bad is the fact place. that these movies... The fact that these movies have been had the same release date has been a meme for a while. Like it's not I think it's really at least a year, I think. Yeah. At least a year. And so Because I seem to remember sorry, I seem to remember the first time hearing about it being like, Oh my god, it's that's over like somebody specifically remarking like that is over a year from now. (laughs) Yeah. And for the longest time, I assumed that they were gonna change one of the release dates because film release dates over a year out are nothing like they they kind of exactly um like think about how many times if you're a fan of the mcu think about how many times every single mcu movie has moved so think about how many i mean avatar the way of water was supposed to come out in like 2012 exactly (laughs) um and so i was you know skeptical but there always the thing was like what are you gonna see first or which one are you gonna see and i think the notion of just seeing one of them is like come on, what are you doing? You should have two sides of your personality. But as this has ramped up and as it became a big thing, I think it's been great. Obviously, there are some people who are cynical about it because they suck. Uh, the oh, one yeah, there's like, some big, sees, there's some no big one sees launchers movies. out there. Yes, no one sees movies in theaters anymore. And then there becomes an event that's going to have like the biggest theatrical weekend since Avengers Endgame. And they're like mad about it because they're not. And, like I don't like to say like, you know, I understand that there's, people should see a variety of films. But one of the movies is about a three hour partially black and white biography of the man who made the atomic bomb. Like, yeah. It's- oh, it's so good. Um, 
pause. Yes. I got a little notification that it like there was like an interruption in service. That's it, fine. Like it said reconnected. Cool. I That's just fine. want I just want no, to no, say no, before no. we like got too far, obviously. No, I understand. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So cool. And so ignoring those people, I think that this was a ludicrously successful organic marketing push. I, of course, anyone who follows me on social media knows I wore my t-shirt that's half the Barbie logo and half the Oppenheimer logo. What was it your costume? Really, it looked really great, by the way. And like, it is I a very comfortable shirt. I, yes, you mentioned that, which is so important. Because normal, especially like a gag shirt like that, like I, honestly, I was like, there wasn't like a seam down the middle. Like that's what I was worried about, that there would be like yeah. a seam halfway down your sternum. Um, it also was, I mean, it was expensive. I bought it before I became unemployed. I would not have bought it. was like $40 before yeah. shipping. <laughs> um, yeah. But I wish normally I had you get a gag myself. shirt like that, they're they're made out of like, you know, yeah. you know, office toilet paper. I think what it was, because I got it from, uh, I don't remember who it was, but it was a limited printing. It was someone who actually like screen printed it themselves. It wasn't like, and I mm-hmm. uploaded a logo to a site. Um, yeah, yeah, so. yeah. But what were um, you, you had a costume change. What? How did I you did. approach it? Yeah, so we so okay, so we we went we were at the AMC Lincoln Lincoln Square in New York City, which specifically we were there because it's the largest IMAX screen on the Eastern Seaboard, right? Yes, it, I it's something that like too. that. Yeah. And and they also were doing the 70 millimeter IMAX, which is how um it's how Oppenheimer was filmed. So it's the mm-hmm. optimal, no uh wordplay intended, uh way to view the movie, you know. Uh, the movie's gonna look fucking great anyway. You see it, frankly, but you know how Christopher Nolan is. Um, yeah. We love him. So uh, we're waiting in line because they had the Barbie box uh, where you can like go and stand and pretend to be a Barbie. We got great pictures. Um, you looking like Robert De Niro. Me looking like I'm. Well, frankly, I look like I'm from Florida because um, my shirt is fully open. Um, uh, <laughs> and. We just like started talking with the people next to us, uh, or the people behind us, and they were in the 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 one person was in like an amazing like the Barbie cowboy outfit that we've seen in some of the trailers and stuff. But like we talked to the people next to us in the seats for Oppenheimer, and they were going to the same show in the Barbie afterwards. Like uh, they I they were in front of me in line for popcorn, so like we could like talk about what I eavesdropped them saying then it, you know, it was, it was really great. Um, and it's not something you see very often. Yeah. It was really amazing. Uh, a lot of people were wearing the same shirt as me. I uploaded it to, yes. um, to Twitter, but a guy was wearing the same shirt as me and randomly asked me for a selfie. He didn't get his name, but we took selfies with each other. Good guy. Um, and, uh, it, it was like, it was a level of excitement. You almost never see, I mean, you never see it for a movie that's not in, like, a sequel. I, no, yeah, I, like, I, I think the last time that this happened where it was, like, such a cultural moment before the movie really happened where people were like, we need to see this opening weekend. We need to see this as soon as possible. We're going to go all out. We're going to dress mm-hmm. up. was Black Panther. Yeah. And, like, I, I remember going to AMC Magic Johnson Friday night at 9 p.m., and it was – this was almost the same energy. I'm not, it was not. No, yeah, I mean, yes. That Also, that's a very specific place to see that movie. I mean, I, well, yeah, I of envy. course, of course. It was, it was a magical experience. Um, but like, it's that, it's the force awakens like that. Mm-hmm. Those are, those are like 
the only two I can compare this to in recent memory. Yeah. And so, um, and, and I think that like Barbie has done such a good job at promoting itself. I know a lot of people, I've seen a lot of people my age and younger say like, this is the most movies ever been promoted. And I hate, I, I was going to say, I hate being the well actually guy, but like, that's not true at all. The thing is movies in like the nineties were at like the peak of Hollywood cocaine would do this a lot, but it's, it's nice to come back to like, yeah, like Jurassic bananas. Park was crazy. Yeah, bananas this, I mean, and tie-ins. Yeah, this like just all I can't even think of all of that. I, there's like a, a shitload on like the Wikipedia. There's like a whole section on Wikipedia of the mm-hmm. promotional tie-ins for Barbie. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's great is that like Oppenheimer got to just like coast. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure the marketing team on Oppenheimer was like, oh fuck, thank God, oh my God, yeah. oh my God. Because Barbie, there's going to be, like, classes about that marketing mm-hmm. push. Yeah. Frankly, there should be classes about the Oppenheimer push. And it's just like, I don't know, every couple of weeks put out a new picture of Killian Murphy looking mm-hmm. pained and then hope that you're premiering on the same day as uh, a Barbie. <laughs> I think the real lesson of the Barbie, because I think that all, like, the times and stuff are a lot of it, but I really think that the biggest marketing hook they have is interviews with Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie. And I think that like, it is the, and it's right. I didn't see until like the last week. I, it felt like the op and marketing, not that they needed to, or maybe he didn't have his contract, but like it, it almost was a mistake to me. Like you didn't just have like Matt Damon and Robert Downey Jr. doing all the marketing. Cause like Killian Murphy's a great actor. He's not, he's not, uh, I, I would have, killed god could you imagine if we had gotten a dual hot ones with matt damon and robert downey jr i mean matt damon did do hot ones already for Stillwater, but the fact that i know that off the top of my head is why i need to be put in a prison camp um but uh you know, I, don't, I actually just saw today i think it just went up today even though it was filmed before the strike um that robert downey jr and christopher nolan did the wired autocomplete interview together and it is the, the most charming Christopher Nolan's ever been. But one of the questions was, what what, what if Christopher Nolan directed the Avengers? And Christopher Nolan kind of gave like a wishy-washy, like joking answer. And then Robert Downey Jr. just said, if Chris Nolan directed the Avengers, we'd still be filming. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but the big, the big um, lesson here is that Ryan yeah. Gosling just is, every single day he said something about Ken that is the funniest thing I've ever heard a celebrity say. Yeah joker mode on it it, it yeah. like it was like jared leto's but mm-hmm. anytime jared leto posts but like nice <laughs> um, <laughs> i saw someone point out that he's the answer to the question what what happens if someone method acts as a nice person <laughs> yes that, yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he's you know he's he's mailing he's mailing his co-stars alive animals <laughs> yeah. Um, I believe the actual thing he did do is I think he sent like a singing telegram to the Barbie sleepover that all the yes. Barbies had. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, because all the Barbies, so all yeah. the female cast mm-hmm. had a sleepover and none of the Kens were in- and <laughs> no one else was invited. Yeah. And yeah, he sent a singing telegram to him. I, yes. I loved he he had a good um, inner like a good quote recent relatively recently that was mm-hmm. about how he's like a father of daughters mm-hmm. and like how he has observed his daughters playing with their mm-hmm. Barbies and like how they talk about them. Cause like, they mm-hmm. don't call them like Barbie and like, they don't call them that mm-hmm. they, yeah. I mean, it, it's the joke that everyone kept making about like, if they don't, if the Barbies don't scissor in, in the Barbie movie, then I'm not watching. Mm-hmm. Cause like, you know, that's, 
it's how people actually played with them. And I yes. think he brings that to this, you know, to the screen. Exactly. Uh, which we'll and get so, into. Yes. So that, so that's like the general overview of the night. Um, you know, the way we like to do things here, I don't really know how to talk about stuff without spoiling it. Um, I think yeah. that overall, I think that, uh, I want you to give your opinion, but my opinion on the films, we saw Oppenheimer first, then Barbie. Well, is that, so I would say before I, I, oh. I had one thing, oh, well. Jake, before of we course. do like opinions on the films, because obviously once we get into opinions on the films, we might as well just like get into shit. Exactly. <clears throat> Entirely. Um, viewing mm-hmm. um, methods. Right. Yes. Um, we saw mm-hmm. five hours of film in mm-hmm. a six hour period, basically. Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't recommend that to most people. No. I don't think most people will attempt that period. No, I like, think it's very clear. You and I are sickos. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we're sickos. I, my boyfriend joined us for Barbie. Mm. <laughs> he did and not he come to Oppenheimer. He is a reasonable person. Yeah. I don't think he'll ever see Oppenheimer until it's like on VOD or, yeah. or on Peacock or whatever. Yeah. Which is awesome to think about. Oh my God. Like in like a couple months, we're going to be able to watch Oppenheimer on Peacock. I'm so fucking yeah. excited. Yeah. Because um, <clears throat> Universal and Peacock are like really good about getting their shit on streaming. Um, but uh, I think if you are if you are able to on the weekend, mm-hmm. um, you know, or a weekday if you if you have this, yeah. I think that seeing both of them mm-hmm. on the same day mm-hmm. with space in between yeah. is a really fun idea. Um. If you are excited about both of these movies, I think at all, it's worth it to to try. If if you're able to, if you're able to, it is not necessary. Of course, (laughs) you you don't have to see any of these movies. You could go and I don't know feed the hungry. Um, You could, but if if you want to have some fun, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um. It, it I, I really think all the memes about like, oh, like Oppenheimer, then lunch, then da da da, like, then Barbie, da 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 da. Like, I think that doing a day, which I actually may be doing tomorrow, uh, uh, my boyfriend and I are going to go see Barbie again at mm-hmm. nine, at like 9 30. Um, he's not, he likes movies, but he's not a movie guy like I am. And he literally today texted me, he was like, we need to see Barbie. I need to see Barbie again. Um, I've never wanted to see another mo- a movie like so quickly like this yeah. um, in a while. Um, mm-hmm. So we're going to see it. I think I'm going to go see Oppenheimer in the middle of the day. Yeah. Um, I'll let you know, Jake, if I figure out my plans, you want to join. Um, I'll let you know too. Yeah. The thing, I'll say this. I think that, cause there's a lot of debate about what the correct order to watch them in is I like the order we did it in um, because I like that I was able to have an uplifting thing. What I will say is I wouldn't recommend... The thing I wouldn't want to have happen is if you're going to see Oppenheimer second, I wouldn't go to a showing that ends at like 11 because I wouldn't want the last thing to go into my brain for a day to be the thought that we are slowly killing ourselves as a civilization because we are hubristic. Like that is the thing I wouldn't want to go to sleep with. Yeah, Yeah, I would say that like as far as order goes, like especially if you're going to do them in like one day or like mm-hmm. one day and then the next day. Yeah. Um, I definitely think that look, see them in whatever the fucking order you want. They're guess yeah. what? They're movies. They're fake. Ha ha ha. Exactly. Um, uh, go, go look at pictures of, of dogs running through fields afterwards. If like, you know, yeah. if you want to write yourself. Um, mm-hmm. but I do think yes, Oppenheimer first, then Barbie, the, you know, the over, over repeated, um, 
a metaphor is like, you know, you want to have, you have to have your dinner before your dessert. Yes. Um, but again, to the sickos out there listening. Yeah. And you know, you know who you it are. It is. And you know, you know who you are. I'm taught. Yeah. yeah. Are you like listening right now? And you're like, uh, I think it might be. It's you. Yeah. It's you. Hi, Jake from the future here. I just want to let you know that if you are a quote-unquote sicko, there's an extended version of this episode on our Patreon that runs 2 hours and 55 minutes. As a responsible producer, I thought it best to cut out most of the very niche tangents we went on about the actors involved in these movies, but I couldn't in good conscience delete them forever, as I know other true sickos would be interested. So, if this sounds like you, sign up for just $3 at patreon.com slash mcuniversitypod and listen to us somehow spend 3 minutes on Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2, I don't know how that happened either. Back to the episode. Um, these movies mm-hmm. have very, at a high thematic level, high up mm-hmm. thematic metaphorical level, there are like similarities. Like there oh. could be worse. Like when Dar- The Dark Knight and Mamma Mia came out on the same yeah. day back in 2008. Mm-hmm. It, uh, these no, movies I, like this. I would say that they are. Like, similarities that are like a really interesting study they are both you know? about the in so the the idea of um can you basically and this is obviously not what they're all about but they very much share the idea that can you if you're an idealistic person can you do something like that seems neutrally good in a system that is like capitalist and determined on evil and imperialism either whether it be the yeah. theoretical physics of making a nuclear weapon or trying to make a doll to sell the girls can either of those things be can you do it and not be responsible for what it does can you can make a bomb you do yes. it can you make a bomb and not be responsible for the people it kills can you make a doll and not be responsible for the unfair beauty standards like they it also, that is like the, also they're about like being like being the bestest most perfect uh hmm you know, person and the, the sheer weight of being the bestest, most perfect person, which is like, look, I'm not saying that's like relatable maybe to you guys, but, uh, to me it was. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think that, um, We'll give our, you know, top line reviews. I think it's clear for, that we both love both the movies. What I, my review I've said, and I think this is true, is that Oppenheimer is definitely my favorite movie I've seen this so far this year. Uh, I think it's Christopher Nolan. You're one in four, right? Number yes, one, one and four. number four, you said? Yeah. I'm, at, th- I'm currently at two and three. Yeah, I think that Oppenheimer is Nolan's magnum opus. I think it's what his career has been building to. It's a achievement in in a way that so movies movies that are so big and so like in this day and age in hollywood well, it's so hey, rare hey, real quick let's just say it right now yeah we're going we're going off now we're gonna go we're gonna yeah. go offenheimer yeah and okay. then we're gonna go we're gonna barbie. go uh barbie in the paint and exactly uh if you wanna if you wanna not have yeah. anything spoiled like now's the time to yes to and I'll put, if you've only light. seen one of them if you've only seen one of them i will put the time code in the description of when you can skip to to hear us talk about barbie see um, see exactly jake's so, amazing that's why we call him is... super producer Exactly. Not because it's a superhero podcast. No, it's actually not that at all. It's actually a name that was stolen from a previous producer of, for the podcast that we all met each other on, but that's not here or there. Um, eh. The it's an achievement in a way that movies so rarely get to be these days, where it is both mm-hmm. it, it has a budget mm-hmm. big enough to be a spectacle, but is about something serious and weighty enough to be important. Um, you know, I obviously feel 
very conflicted all the time, as listeners know, about doing a superhero podcast, because I know that superhero movies <laughs> are, in a lot of ways, the reason why we don't get movies like Oppenheimer that much anymore. Um, like, it used to be a thing yeah. that directors used to be able to make relatively expensive big movies that were about just history and real ideas. Oliver Stone had a whole career. Yes. Uh, and so yeah, a lot of people compare this to as Chris Nolan's JFK, and I think that that is apt, because I think they're both great movies. I think Oppenheimer is better, because it does not I, involve setting oh. up a person, an innocent man in Louisiana who is not involved oh. in the assassination. <laughs> I will be watching JFK this weekend because I heard too late that mm-hmm. it was apparently like a JFK, like JFK. Otherwise, I would have seen it beforehand. But yeah, I think that Oppenheimer is just a, um, I don't know, I think that it is about so much, but it's also like so entertaining in a way that, yeah. you know, only, only like, I think that that's the mark of like a great filmmaker is, you know, can you make, I, I just am not super interested in, um, I think a lot of people can make something, it's pretty easy to make real life events that were important seem important on screen. To dramatize them in a way that is propulsive and interesting to watch is, I think, like the magic trick that only a short list of filmmakers can ever do at once. And I think Nolan does it better than I've seen in a very long time. Yeah. I, um, so I actually thought the most mm-hmm. about, and I, I don't think that this is a typical, um, I'm not saying that this is like, oh, it's quite similar in this way, yada, yada, yada. Um, but the movie I thought the most about with Oppenheimer was Interstellar. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and part of it is because it's, you know, it's another, like, I think they're both like, what, like seven hours long and, yeah. um, that, you know, it's these, these big, long, you know, one very tortured man, mm-hmm. um, doing, you know, who's got, who's, who's a genius and is, is doing the great stuff. And it's definitely not a metaphor for Christopher Nolan and, no, no, no. um, um, <laughs> but the thing that really stuck out to me was I remember going to see Interstellar, and I will say Interstellar mm-hmm. is kind of like right up my alley, um, yeah. and so that is still my number one Nolan. Mm-hmm. I will be rewatching The Dark Knight also um, mm-hmm. uh, very soon to kind of see because right now Oppenheimer is my number three after Dark Knight and Interstellar mm-hmm. personally, but uh, magnum opus is not a term I wouldn't use. You know, yeah. is you know. Um, in, with regards to Oppenheimer, um, Magnum Oppenheimer, um, yeah, and Oppenheimer. uh, but Interstellar, I remember, you know, I have horrible ADHD, and yeah. um, I, uh, you know, watching a movie that's that's longer than ninety minutes, I'm all, you know, I'm always going to be like feeling it, um, and I love watching movies in the theater, and I am, um, you know, but I'm st- I'm still just like I'm gonna be aware that like mm-hmm. we're here, and this is a three hour movie. And I remember at after Interstellar watching that back in 2014, I got out and I went, "Wait, it's done? Like we're done? Yeah. Like I did. It, it, what do you mean? Like we're it, we we only just started because it just goes so fast. Like the pacing and the way it it, it works, it does not feel like two and a half, almost three hours. Oppenheimer was the same way. Yeah. Oppenheimer, I was you. It, it was described by some reviewers as like paced, almost like an action movie. And yeah. I wouldn't necessarily say that, but it certainly felt like, like, you know, it felt like when I was watching John Wick, which is John Wick four or mission impossible dead reckoning, which are both long movies mm-hmm. this year. Like 
I wasn't looking down at my watch at all. You know, I was, I was, I was so like in the whole time, same thing with Oppenheimer. And that is, it is a movie about, and this is your favorite genre, Jake, of people talking in rooms. You're damn right. It is, it goes back and forth between color and black and white between, you know, 1939 and 1950 something. I don't remember the exact date, like back and forth, back and forth. Um, it's it's about it's about fucking quantum fucking mechanics and theoretical physics. Are you kidding me? You know, it's and about, it very smartly doesn't get into the weeds of that, but still, it's about quantum physics and also like inter interagency politics in the U.S. government. <laughs> like that's yeah, really what of, it's about. Two of famously two of the most boring things in the entire yeah. world, and yet it is so just it goes. That's the best way I can describe it. Yeah. I and I um, think that it works so well because it uses the trick of the it basically you know for anyone who's seen it and who will knows that it uses two different frame settings like it uses both the confirmation hearing of a uh, Louis Strauss in the fifties and then a little earlier I think in the early fifties the security clearance hearing for Oppenheimer um, yeah. And I think maintaining using, his yes. security clearance. I, 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 sorry, I'm just like, I'm going to kind of repeat things a, to make sure I remember them correctly. But also yeah. anybody who's watching, if you like me, were like, I don't know what the fuck I was fucking watching for right. most of that. Right. Um, you know, we can, we can assist with yeah. that. I will say, I was like, I don't know what the fuck I'm watching, but I was like, this rocks. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm here, you know, so, like, I don't know. Inception. I, and I think the thing that works so well about those, and what this bit reminded me of was another masterpiece called The Social Network, which also uses two different yes. hearings as a way of showing everything. That, mm-hmm. like, at any time, it could use the hearings to jump from one thing to another, and it doesn't need... And it also can use them to to establish dramatic irony to any scene we're watching. Um, yeah. That, like... Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It... it, 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 it uses those two framing stories as a way of like only as an excuse for only giving you the good parts of what yes. happened and only interesting parts and, yeah. and I it, think- it quite literally makes it in the first five minutes of the movie mm-hmm. a like we've mentioned one of them is in color the other one is yeah. in black and white and mm-hmm. christopher nolan has talked about how black and white is objective color is subjective um but also it at the bottom of the screen, it says for the color one, like, you know, one period fusion, I think, or fission. fission. And then for black and white, it's two period fusion. And so it's setting it up right there. Like, yeah. this is how this is going to go. And um, I think that it is above all else. Like, it obviously has a lot to say about a lot of things. No shit. It's a three hour movie. But I think more yeah, than anything, it's a Christopher it is, Nolan movie. Yeah. I think the way that almost everything that happens comes back to being about being Bobby Oppenheimer is what makes it so resonant to me that like it actually is doesn't it doesn't concern itself with trying to be about World War II and it doesn't concern itself with trying to be about you know science. Yeah, there's very little about World War II, and frankly, there's. They write a lot on chalkboards, but yeah. there's not a lot of, you know, quantum physics bullshit in it. And that is a thing that, like, I've read books about the history of, like, K-1 
chemistry and things like that. Like I enjoy that. And like, you know, it, it very smartly avoids it. And I think that it, the, the question I think it is most concerned with is just this idea of, you know, can you, like the, the questions of how much are you responsible for what you put into the world? Right. Yes. And I think that there's, it's very yeah. easy to, it's very easy to look at that metaphorically. Like you could, I think that this is a bit simple. I don't think that Chris Nolan means this because he wouldn't dare to compare himself to this, but like, can you just make a superhero movie trilogy? And then are you responsible for superhero movies taking over Hollywood for the rest of the decade? Yeah. Like that is a question. It's a movie about, it's a movie about the fucking the dark Knight. Like, yeah. you know, it's crazy. It's yeah. all, I mean, it's not crazy. It's that's, not all about that. And I movie, think that Christopher Nolan movies movie. work, but Christopher Nolan is a, good enough filmmaker that I think he probably had that thought, but he doesn't find it necessary to drive that home. Like, it's not like there's an analog to all of that, you know? Um, yeah, in fact, there is a Christopher Nolan looking character who is um, in in opposition to the main character quite often. You would think that he would, you know, weirdly style J. Bobby to look like Nolan, but instead he makes Ernest Lawrence look like Christopher exactly. Nolan, vaguely. But yeah, and so I think that the biggest... The thing that I really was so fascinated by was that, that the movie is like, and I think this is what Robert Downey Jr.'s character does so well, is that although he ends up kind of being like the sniveling villain at the end of it, because wow. he does screw, screw over Bobby, Oppie. It's crazy that they actually did call him Oppie, but... Uh, it's crazy. But I think it's the, so thing, funny. the thing that, what he does, because even though, like I said, he ends up being a villain, the thing he clearly, I think Nolan doesn't think he's wrong about is that J. Robert Oppenheimer would want the movie about him making the bomb to be about a guy who was just trying to do good science, thought he was doing the right thing, and then, oh my god, what have I wrought? But I think what the movie ends up doing in, like, mostly the third act is saying, like, that's too neat. J. Robert Oppenheimer, that's what he wants his legacy to be. Like, he is, whether he knows it or not, he is self-pitying himself like he doesn't get yeah. to have it's, that position. it's interrogating him still. yeah it, like it's, it's not it's not just like wow this great man was roped in a thing where his greatness was used for evil and now i feel sad about it like no the person who's responsible for making that narrative is j robert oppenheimer and he can't you shouldn't let him off the hook for that just because he wants you to think that it's about him being sad you know and so, yeah, it's not, it's a movie with no easy answers but i also think the thing that makes it beyond just the oppenheimer part i think it really it does kind of question because it doesn't give us the satisfaction of a moment where someone could have made a different decision to stop us on this course. Like, I think that if you ask Christopher Nolan, and I think that I also just think this is true, then like, there really is no alternate history where at some point yeah. we don't learn to destroy ourselves. Like, it, it kind no, of is the. I end- actually, I actually think there, that it, late in the movie, mm-hmm. we see uh, Mank himself, Gary mm-hmm. Oldman, as Harry Truman, which. By the way, Gary, if I was Gary Oldman, I'd be mm-hmm. on the phone with my agents. Like, as soon as the strike is over, mm-hmm. I need a fucking Stalin movie ASAP. Yes. Good point. Because if if because if so, I'm get I, someone needs to edit a picture of the Potsdam conference. <laughs> I can see this <laughs> is why you and Gary Oldman. You know damn well I was saying the same thing the moment he showed up. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but uh, and Gary Oldman, of course, because you fucking Gary Oldman. Uh, mm-hmm. do like a you know, it's a, it's Gary Oldman. B, it's this movie, which we will, I'm sure, get into um, soon. Oh, um, by the way, I'm just gonna let you know. At some point, I, the next thing I was gonna do is go cast member by cast member and talk about. You think that that's the best way to talk about the movie? Perfect. That's the best way to talk about the movie. Perfect. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, especially with this movie because it's like I don't know. They um, built, we see a little bit before he's you know Oppenheimer. Yeah. Then he gets recruited to build the to lead the Manhattan Project. They build the bomb. They make the bomb. They set off the bomb. And then he's accused of being a co- he's accused of being a communist and like loses his because thing. he doesn't want to make the H bomb basically yeah, yeah. that's there's, there's there's a bunch of back and forth at the end um, which is great to be clear yeah. yeah in fact I don't know just there have been people who have been like um, denigrating the final act of the movie mm-hmm. like that are yeah. that's what some and people are, are entitled to be wrong which is fine yeah I thought the final act was great especially because I actually was worried about it at first. I was and like, if, yeah. I'm kind of, I'm kind of lost here. I don't really know what's going the on. Bomb. And then, but and you also, you could say it. that if we're going to go with the metaphor about Chris Nolan, the U S government, AKA Warner brothers, didn't think that making the bomb was enough to earn his loyalty of, you know, that you're still like anyone else. You're still disposable, even though you made the dark Knight. Um, well, so, so. Let, I, let's say it like, you know, there is a reason why, you know, just based off of what you were just saying, like the reason why Barbenheimer exists is because yeah. Warner Brothers and maybe David Zaslav, I don't know if he was in charge at the time yet, is a petty bitch. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is no, this weekend is known as the Nolan weekend mm-hmm. um, in some circles, um, some circles being sickos. Yeah. Um and it's because this is like this is when the Dark Knight came out. This is when, uh, like I think Dunkirk came out. This is like yeah. a lot of a lot. Nolan has basically like locked in this approximate weekend. He l- loves IMAX. IMAX loves him, the company that is. Um, mm-hmm. And he's always dropping these amazing IMAX movies on this weekend, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, f- for a lot of the movies are dropping in, and. He had a falling out with Warner Brothers, uh, mostly due to the fact that they were like, oh, Tenet's going to drop immediately on HBO Max. And he was like, it shouldn't. It's not supposed to be watched at home. And look, we can get into the politics, uh, you know, the politics of the movies and streaming. I know I'm saying we're not going to. I'm saying like we can get into the politics at another time of like – should movies have gone straight to video during because this is 2020 we're talking about tenant um but he was really mad and they had a huge falling out and he left warner brothers he's been at warner brothers since batman begins at least right was that Mm -hmm. the first one or what yeah that was the first one i think so yeah he every war every christopher nolan movie between batman begins and now has been Warner Brothers. He and that's not a thing of, that happens that much in this day and age with studios. He was a Warner Brothers guy, and so he had a falling out. And, and Oppenheimer is a universal picture, which is why it'll be on Peacock. Um, and to spite him, Warner Brothers said, hmm, what's our biggest movie that's coming out in the sum- that's going to be a summer mm-hmm. movie? Barbie, let's put it on the same day. And yeah. that's why Barbenheimer exists, because it, yeah. Warner Brothers is petty. And of course, ironically, they're ended up juicing Oppenheimer's numbers, which is why I yes. great. And Barbie's going to come out on top, but like, still, they. But they he was always going to come like, out on top. You, yeah, yeah, uh, obviously, yeah, yeah. The, the three-hour biopic drama was about the uh, atomic bomb was never going to be the number one movie of its weekend, unless it was the only movie coming out that weekend. <laughs> so um, I'm just going to go through the yeah. cast. Okay, go. 
Yeah, we can talk about the story beats. It's so vast. Let's do it. Let's do it. And I'm going to go in Wikipedia yeah. order. So there might be some people that have basically no screen time that are pretty high up. Do, um, okay. I Do we want to go backwards? Sure. So we can kind of just go. Absolutely. I'll be honest with you. Million. I'm going to skip anyone who I don't know either the person they're playing or the actor. Okay. Amazing. Perfect. That's going to be nobody because it's you, but that's yeah. great. First, the last person. Do you know who? Did you recognize who played Kirk Goodall? Kirk Goodall? Yeah, James Urbaniak. James Urbaniak. Three lines. Great. Three lines, one scene. He's a, um, a super, uh, like a hyper, um, oh God, I can't think of the word right now, but like um, paranoid. Hyper- yes, because well, Einstein references that he doesn't trust eating anyone's meals. He's a German scientist. Him. Yes, his wife got hospitalized and she prepared all of his meals beforehand, and then he literally starved to death because he refused to eat meals because he thought he was going to get poisoned. Uh, yeah, really, really smart Urbaniak. people are crazy. Uh, Tim Decay as John Pastor, he's just the only senator who I recognized. Um, right. uh, James Remar as Henry Stimson, who was the uh, Secretary of War. Who had the thing that is real? Where this is a real yes. thing that I knew about before. That yeah, when you leaned kids, over to me, again, this is real. You lean, and I will say, I, I am, I am a, I'm a, I'm a whisperer during the movie. Mm-hmm. I'm a leaner, and I'll do it. And I know, and you know, and Jake is not. And so to to have Jake lean over to me in a movie is like, especially this. Yeah, experience was like important. The scene, if you recall, because it happened quickly, is when they're deciding the different oh, cities. I'm talking, I love I'm talking to the audience. When they're oh. picking the different cities <laughs> they might target, there are eleven different cities to pick from, and the Secretary of War crosses no, off. There were twelve. Kyoto. There were twelve. Twelve. Sorry, twelve. He crosses off Kyoto because him and his wife honeymoon there, which that is a true story. That is what the, yes. that was one of our top targets for bombing, and we didn't bomb yeah. it because the Secretary of War uh, vacation there. Uh, Gary Oldman as Harry Truman, um, who, oh, yeah, we talked about. I, I cut my I mean, own self up. He does a great job. But yeah, he he's does. such a fucker in it. Like, yeah. I mean, Harry Truman was a fucker. That's why. Yeah. But, like. Exactly. Uh, yeah, he's great. He's fucking Gary Oldman coming in for one scene to play fucking Harry Truman at the end of this movie and just exactly. be, like, an almost LBJ-like, you know, intimidation mm-hmm. style. Uh, Christopher Denham as Klaus Fuchs, who is the British German scientist who turns out to be a spy for the Russians. Um, yeah, great line. Say, uh, yes, his line of what? Because he, he, this is the British scientist, and he introduced himself with a German accent. And Oppenheimer asks him, like, "When did like, you become British?" Hello, I am, I am British. And that's when did you become British? And he says, "When Hitler said I was no longer German," which is a good when line. When Hitler said I was no longer German. Yep. Um, uh. Werner Heisenberg, don't know the actor, but you know he's on screen. Don't know this the actor. Be- we really only see him in like one scene that they like yeah. reuse the clip of a bunch. I uh, thought they should have had Brian Cranston play that character. Of course, exactly. Uh, Josh Zuckerman. That's something as, I leaned into you. Josh say. Zuckerman as uh, Lomanitz, who is the guy who Berkeley who isn't allowed at Los Alamos. He gets drafted because he's trying to unionize. Um, you know, just oh, that, yeah, I think yeah. that that's, a, that's an interesting through line in the movie too. Is the labor stuff is you know I yeah. think that what Christopher Nolan is trying to draw a line to is the idea that uh, of how fucked it was that um, no matter what people thought about communism or have you in the Red Scare or whatever, the way that any sort of labor power whatsoever was treated with suspicion because of that. Um, a major it, part of this is that uh, of Opp- Oppenheimer is like being accused uh, by the U.S. government of being a, a communist spy. And, like, one of the pieces of evidence that keeps coming up is that he 
donated to the Spanish Revolution. Yeah. He, he assist he like Yeah, which is like that's it. And once again, like in terms of historical things that there's a clear bad side on, like I think that Spanish the Spanish uh I mean, I I I I will say also this movie has a like like I think a lot of Nolan movies, frankly, he doesn't have the reputation for this, has a lot of laughs in it. Like there yes. there's plenty of there's plenty of funny throughout the film. I mean, Matt Damon, of course, is providing lots of it because he's fucking Matt Damon. He's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get into it. But um, uh, there's a line where I believe uh, Jason Clark does it. Or somebody does. Uh, one of the one of the stodgy government mm-hmm. fuckers mm-hmm. says, uh, you know, our our enemy used to be fascism, but now it's communism. And it's yeah. just framed, you know, equally. And they are not just talking about fascism as a concept. They're talking about Nazi Germany. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things where, like, I, I think that I, it's very unfortunate that Christopher Nolan used the Occupy Wall Street aesthetics for Bane and The Dark Knight Rises because mm-hmm. I actually think that he is not, like, a radical filmmaker. But I think that without that, I don't think that – I think that people accuse his movies of be having a right-wing tip, but I just don't think it's stupid. Not. I think that he has like a very He was on the fucking picket line. Yeah. I think he has a very like dad view of like reasonable social de- democracy like you you Correct. know. And it's but he's, he's I think that there's a mistake people make a lot. I think that this is just a mistake people make in real life, which is like people overvalue the aesthetics of radicalism over the actual like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that, like, I actually think it's actually pretty important for a movie that's this big, that's playing an IMAX screens, to, like, I think we don't think about the Spanish Civil War a lot at all, but I think it's notable that, like, that was the first example of a thing that happened over and over and over and over and over again in the 20th century, where America decided that they would rather people be, or uh, other in other countries be ruled by dictators than be ruled by people that, oh my god, might want to redistribute wealth, oh, the horror. So the yeah, idea yeah. is that, like, just, I think the fact that he United the Spanish Civil War is such a great, it's both true, but also really a good example because it's not like he was giving to like the communist party in general he was giving to like a very clear example where unless you are a fucking like unless you're joe mccarthy you're like yeah the bad guys are the fascists but of course because yeah. the good guys happen to be associated with communist anyway we, that's another conversation yeah. but it, it is it is also notable that mm-hmm. two of the i i i'm gonna predict mm-hmm. that the two of the top three mm-hmm. highest grossing you know uh box office films for this weekend mm-hmm um feature uh you know major themes of pro union themes yes and anti-ai you know dead reckoning and 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 that's not even to go into the anti-capitalism of barbie which we'll talk about you know like yeah uh alex wolf plays a guy whose last name is alvarez which is just notable because he's not an alvarez but i'm looking up the alvarez is a spanish alvarez so it's not that problematic yeah Um, i remember his character he has one scene yeah, uh, like I remember being like, "Oh, that's Alex Wolf." The which is a one, fun thing you get to do in this movie. You oh my, this go, movie is nothing but guys. He, it's nothing but guys, and Barbie. We still have too many for us. You got to finish this thought. Barbie just like has uh, a similar thing with like it does, girl, but not not to the degree. It's no. that's one of the most fun parts of Oppenheimer is just being like, "Oh, oh it's it's yeah. it's it's glup shit Exactly. Uh, Tony Goldwyn plays Gordon Gray. And I think Tony Goldwyn might have like the first line in the movie. How old do you think Tony Goldwyn is? You just saw him. Looks great. How old do you think he is? Um, I truly could not pick Tony Goldwyn out of a lineup right now. He plays the main 
the guy who's holding the hearing for Oppenheimer, the uh, the, the the main senator. No, not the main senator. The main like on when the oh, classification. Tony Goldwyn, not Jason, not Jason Clark, the one no. that's at the front of the table. President yeah. and scandal. I mean, Tony Goldwyn's really pissing because in two thousand you would recognize him. He really had a fall from grace in terms of fame. But uh, yeah, I know, I know, he, he, I recognize the name, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, he was Tarzan. What? He was Tarzan. He was Tarzan. I don't, what do you want to tell you? Like this is just animated Tarzan. He played Tarzan in the animated movie. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> and he's yeah, sixty three years old. Sixty three. He looks incredible. Anyway, he looks that's good. all I can say about him. He um, looks good. He, he's a guy that's feeling safe hands whenever he comes up. Um, and as we alluded to, there's also Jason Clark there. And I was a bit confused. Renowned bitch. Yeah, I was in movies. Confused. In movies. I was, a la- I was a little confused in the movie because I'm like, if he's only in this scene, there's no way we're going to see a scene where someone is having sex with his wife. So why is Jason Clark in a movie if he's not going to get cucked? But then, of course, when he does the interrogation scene with Emily Blunt, he basically gets cucked. So now I understand why they cast him. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he, he, witness- he witnesses a, a cu- uh, uh a mental cucking. Well, yeah, I, it's like the whole thing is he only exists on screen to have for someone to have sex with his wife. Um, and so, you know, I will say in, in kind of the way that Anya Taylor joy has this, his, the proportions and yeah. ratios of his face don't seem right. And yeah. I think that that is part of his whole appeal. And to be clear, I think he's great. Oh, I love Jason. Clark. I is a guy. Yeah. You're so happy to see him. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I know exactly what the fuck I'm doing right now. Fuck this guy. Let's all fucking start chanting. Jason Clark, you're gonna bring down the house. Mm-hmm. This, you know, we're all gonna burn you in effigy, and it's gonna be great. Uh, next up, we have uh, Jefferson Hall as Hakan Chevalier. Don't know the actor, but the character. I just like that they kept saying he's just the communist guy. It's not important. Uh, yeah, they kept talking. going the Chevalier affair, the Chevalier yeah. affair. And I'm like and that like, movie that uh, about the course. the violence that no one saw. Then we have. The much maligned, unfairly, Alden Ehrenreich as an unnamed Senate aide. And he is great. I think he's great in this movie. I think he's pretty much great in everything. I'm going to be honest. I think I would put him in my, like, I guess not top five. He's definitely top ten performances in this movie. Yeah, he's great. He's, I mean, we we are Alden heads. Like, maybe not Alden heads, but, like. No, no, that belongs that belongs to Rachel Leishman and Rachel Leishman alone. She's the only Alden head alive, and that she, she deserves yeah, that. Herself. Rachel Leishman, though a freak who saw Barbie first, then Oppenheimer. Yeah, she was Rachel Leishman and Liam Real Thomas were in our screening on the other side of the theater. Friends um, of the pod, FOPs. Yes, uh, um, but yeah, he's great in it. He's so good. So he plays the Senate. Aide, he's the Senate aide to Robert Downey Jr. Um, while RDJ, I believe Alden is also the like highest ranking st- cast member who's only in black and white probably yeah because rdj was, he, i thought about it for rdj but he he does go in color i'll say this he is the only actor in the movie that i recognize who is not playing a named human being that's like that's the thing about yeah. this movie too which i respect there's He's no the conscious of those scenes because rdj of, is is the bad guy what i respect about this is Unlike so many other based on true story movies, there is nothing on this that's like, and so and so's character was an amalgam of no, no, no. If there are six different scientists, he didn't combine them into one. He cast six different white guys. He cast six different white actors that you've vaguely yeah. heard of. Yes. So he's great. Uh, Dane DeHaan as Kenneth Nichols, who is just a sh- little shit. I hate this guy. Oh, what a slimy little fuck. He's so yeah. good. I mean, it's Dane DeHaan. That's what he yeah. plays as. But like. 
Oh God. When so Hollywood great. thought he could be something else is just a real low moment for Hollywood. Like he's great at slimy little shits and I don't need him to do anything else. Uh, we have Olivia Thirlby as Lily Hornig, who's the one lady on the staff. Um, which oh, I was the one know. that's oh, there's a fun scene. She's the one yes. that where there where they're like they're like you can't work with the radioactive materials, and mm-hmm. she's like why? And they're like it'll make you infertile. And she goes, well, your reproductive system is uh, more present that or more uh, exposed than mine is. Yeah, which is a good point. Uh, I mean, um, anyway, Josh Peck inexplicably Josh, Josh Peck is Drake and fucking Josh playing a hugely important character in yeah. the history the of the man world. who presses the button to make the test go off is played yeah, the by man, Josh the Peck. man Josh Peck of Drake and Josh fame mm-hmm. is the man who presses the button that mm-hmm. makes the first atomic bomb happen yeah <laughs> Chris Nolan's a fucking madman. Like what? I, I just that is that is exactly what it is. That is real madman shit. Yeah. Like, and and Drake Bell is, I believe, in a Bolivian jail. If only. I think he's <laughs> yeah, man. He just. Um, Should then be. we we got Jack Quaid as Richard Feynman. What? Jack like you said, fucking Quaid, bro. Rich, wait, he's Richard Feynman. I truly did yeah. not know that because they yeah. don't say most of the shit. Why? Do you know? Do you know who Richard Feynman is? Yeah, uh, I, I, he's one of the. I, I cannot tell you why I know him, oh, but like he was in 1999. He was listed as the seventh greatest physicist of all time by Physical World. Yeah, so. I took. Look, I took IB chemistry higher level. I've read books on chemistry and physics and stuff like the yeah. history of chemistry and physics. Well, I'm I not took trying to be IBS seriously. Lady. Um, nice, but uh, good joke. Uh, what's the most important um, thing about Jack Wade's performance? That he plays the bongos. <laughs> yes, poorly. Yeah, dude. Okay, so my my good friend, who you know, uh, Mike, um, uh, children's author Mike Ross, um, mm-hmm. children's book author Mike Ross. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a big Jack Wade guy. He actually went. He and his boyfriend. He forced his boyfriend to go as Jack Wade and Carl Urban from The Boys, and Mike was Jack Wade. Um, for Jack Halloween. Is, he's honestly such, he's a genuinely really good actor when he just, his look, he looks like a Nepo baby who isn't good at acting and he's very yes. good. So, I yeah. mean, he's really good. And I texted Mike today. I was like, there is a moment with your, there is a moment with your boy, mm-hmm. uh, parentheses, Jack Quaid, a brief one second mm-hmm. in passing moment, unrelated to plot that made me truly hoot and holler. And that mm-hmm. is, they are all, all the scientists are stationed out in Los Alamos for the test of the first atomic bomb. And the ones besides Josh Peck that are not involved, actually actively involved with it are like miles and miles, excuse me, miles and miles away watching it. And they're having a fucking party, which apparently Los Alamos was. Um, apparently yeah. they like blew out a side of a nearby mountain so they could make like a ski slope. Yeah for it um because they were there for like two or three years exactly um with all their families and everything either way and it just it's kind of panning over the like almost bacchanalia of like Mm -hmm. oh we're about to drop the first bomb and jack quaid is sitting on top of the on the hood of a car and he's just banging on the bongos (laughs) and then he the bongos reprise later (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> then we have as another scientist Michael Angarano. I don't remember which one he was. I saw him a couple points. You know, I knew he was in this movie, 
Nothing. I mean, he's at this point, he's Mr. Maya Erskine, and good for him. Um, and great so, for him. Yeah. We got Tom Conti as Albert Einstein. Wow. I mean, good. I, I was thinking that they wouldn't give Albert Einstein any lines. I thought they'd like kind of act like he was too important to portray. But he has a couple really good scenes, and I think he's really good. I mean, he's kind of instrumental for the, the third act also. I mean, yeah. I mean, the way the movie ends, which we could talk about because we're spoiling it. But the whole idea of where he first goes to him to see if the chain reaction will cause a chain reaction in the atmosphere. And the idea, of course, being that, you know, it might not have literally done that, but it did cause a chain reaction in the world, is like, yeah. that is the type of thing where when you write that out in your, you know, Word document or whatever Christopher Nolan uses, because I know he doesn't use the internet, uh, you then take a break, pat yourself on the back, pour yourself a whiskey, and you're like, I just did a good, good screenplay. It is so crazy that before they tested it, they were like, Look, this could cause a chain reaction that just ignites the entire world and we all die. And yeah. they there was like no way to prove that it wasn't going to do that. And there was like they were pretty sure mm-hmm. in the scientific way, which is like, you know, basically 100%, but like quite literally they say it Matt Damon says it like not basically. You know, basically yeah. 100% is not 100%. Yeah. It's just crazy that like shit like that is happening right now. Like right I now. I mean it happened with and the CERN, Yes, exactly. Same. They're doing shit where they're like, like yeah. they're doing shit where they're like, well, this might, you know, open up a portal to Cthulhu, but mm-hmm. it, you know, ninety nine percent chance it will not. So we're gonna do it anyways. So if you thought this movie didn't have enough weird little freaks, the biggest freak of all, a former Nolan collaborator, people forget he plays a, one of the Joker's goons in The Dark Knight. David right. Dasmalkian plays William L. Borden, who is a fucking freak. And an this actual, guy I mean, sucks. David, I hate him David so Desmalkian cannot not be a freak. No. The man, you think he's a freak in movies. If you ever see an interview with him, he is a freak in real life. <laughs> he is a weird guy, and he's great. And what's great, David Desmalkian, Alden Ehrenreich, and Michael Angarano, I think, all share no, a... Dane DeHaan. It was a freak's card. Oh, Dane DeHaan. They all yeah. share a, uh, a title, a credit card yeah. Yeah, exactly. uh, at the end. And yeah, William L. Borden's the guy who basically is like the... Person that Robert Downey Jr. tasks he's a with getting up behind Yeah, he's the guy who like hates communists and stuff like that. I mean, it's really crazy watching anything in the fifties that people were like really like. Man, it's just so crazy, crazy how much they hate communists. Um, then we got another former Nolan collaborator, a guy who I think Nolan really was instrumental in bringing this guy back, even though he's kind Michael of Michael Caine like, as no. Oppenheimer's nope. wife, Matthew Modine as Vannevar Bush. Wow. He doesn't have anything so, crazy good in it, but he's just, like, such a call... Like, this movie... I think the thing that's good about him casting all these actors you know is that it... I think because all of these people in all of these rooms... <laughs> like, where I said, Josh... I mean, Jack Wade is not an important character in the movie, right? But he plays a guy who's listed as the seventh most important physicist of all time. I honestly think that yes. by casting almost every part with actors you recognize, it gives every single tiny scientist you see more weight. That none of these people feel... Because yes. it's, like, clearly... If you're going to cast, this guy's too important to cast a recent drama school grad for. You know what I mean? But yeah, Matthew Modine, No, that's I think like, is that's the whole thing where it's like, you, it, it, it is, it's, um, it's metacasting where you mm-hmm. go like, oh, that's, that's the, that's the guy from the boys. Yeah. Or you, you, mm-hmm. you know, or you're like, you're like, oh, that's, that's full metal jacket. <laughs> and like, and, and I don't know if Richard Feynman was kind of like a young hotshot guy who didn't think. That, um, you know, he was, like, it was kind of the kid of the group, but that's the energy that he give, 
Kaz and Jack Wade gives him, you know? Um, yeah. Moving on, we have, I think that this is, this is, I think, in the top five, this might be my number five performance in the movie, which would not, I never would have said when you listed the cast, because this guy is just a guy who's in a ton of stuff. He's never really had his due except for a TV show that has a three in the title. David Krumholtz as Isidore Isaac Rabbi is incredible. Yeah, I, I mean, he's hands down number three for me. Uh, it's just, he is, gives so much pathos. Best performance, I'm saying. Like, yeah, it, I, it, unbelievable. So he basically plays Oppenheimer's conscience. Yeah. He's, he's a, like, long, long time. There's a scene early on when, like, the, the movie starts with, like, Oppenheimer's, like, a student still, mm-hmm. um, you know, in grad school, you know, post-grad mm-hmm. shit. But, like, he's, and he, like, meets him. And I, he is, he is just a mensch, uh, you know, and I, I, I don't think I can necessarily say that, but like in the open, basically in the opening scene with him, mm-hmm. a, 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 a thing they have is that Oppenheimer is Jewish also. And, mm-hmm. um, they, they connect on that. And David Krumholtz goes, goes eat. You're, you're looking, yeah. you're looking emaciated. You need to eat. Yeah. Um, and then that like comes back later. So yeah, I was using it in the in the. And, uh, I mean, I also think that there's the really interesting thing that like Oppenheimer doesn't speak Yiddish. That like you know that there's Oppenheimer, I, I, a man who speaks so many fucking languages. That's where it's yeah. called out. He I don't Dutch, know, but he doesn't. I, speak I know. Yiddish. I assume Christopher Nolan, I think, is correct in not trying to comment on it all. But I think that there is. I think that just having that dichotomy is interest in interesting. Like the Oppenheimer Jewish. Yeah, he's Oppenheimer. Both of them are it. both of them are New York are Brooklyn Jews. But from very, as Oppenheimer alludes to, from very different sides of the town. Like, Oppenheimer clearly comes from much more money than... Oh, of course, uh, of course. Yeah. But, like, that is, that is, like, the, kind of the foundation of their friendship exactly. in exactly. the movie. David Krumholtz, throughout the movie, because that's the thing, like, you know, Jack Quaid or, mm-hmm. you know, Matthew Modine, like, they're only popping up in, like, mm-hmm. their segments. Yeah. David Krumholtz is throughout this movie. Yeah. He, he's he's mean, the best he friend is, character. Yeah, he's the best friend. I I mean, he is, he is, he maybe should be like, I don't know what, like sixth or seventh build. Yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, I don't. The, the I'm not saying he weird. is, but he should be. Yeah. Next you know up, I mean? we have in his second role as a balding German man based on a real person of the year, Gustav Skarsgård as Hans Beffer, uh or Beta. <laughs> um, he was he was the like the the German guy on the team, tall German bald guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's the main German guy on the team. He, I did not realize that that was Gustav. Um, I, I didn't not, until the credits. Yeah, I didn't realize that he was the secret third Skarsgård. Um, I mean, as opposed you to saw, the secret I mean, fourth Skarsgård, which also you saw there. You know what I'm talking about earlier, though, because he's an heir. He yeah, plays. Yeah, 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 he's yeah. really good an heir. I mean, I think he's a good yeah. actor. The Skarsgårds have acting in their blood. Yeah, of course. Next up is an actor I don't know, but plays a... I definitely the actor I know... The highest build actor I've never heard of, uh, Dylan Arnold as Frank Oppenheimer, his brother, I think is, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. I think he's, he has a good, good younger brother. He doesn't really look anything yes. like Killian Murphy, but, you know, as I always say, yeah, if, they if Jack Van yeah, Gundy and Stan Van Gundy can be brothers, then, what'd you say? They should have had him go on a, the actor go on a bulimia diet and he would have looked yeah. more like Killian Murphy. But he's good. I mean, I think that obviously there's the whole issue. Uh, I, I think that he's used kind of as a big as a plot device of like the absurdity of wait, I I'm getting in trouble because my brother 20 years ago was involved in a group like that. You know, yeah, because that's the thing. His brother, he was his brother is the person pretty, closer to him who was a full on. He he was pretty communist. 
J J Bobby uh, was probably what mo- is probably the the nineteen whatever equivalent of what most people um, that I like to think uh, listening to this podcast are, which is like, look, you're you know you 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 know we we're we're on the left side and you know we're gonna go to things and at the at the time what that meant for if you were J Robert Oppenheimer was like going to parties and then there would be like. A bunch of communists there, and they would be like, "Hey, do you have a?" Also, you podcast? try oh, having a social life in Berkeley, California, in the '30s, and not run into. I fuck it. <laughs> I mean, try having a social life at any time in Berkeley, yeah, California. Oh my god! All right, yeah, Jesus Christ. Right. Exactly. So next up, we have a man who I did not think would become a character actor of our time, but Benny Safdie is Edward Teller. Um, amazing, amazing. I yeah, loved him in the. He's. So good. I would say I would actually put him as my number four favorite. He's so good. He's also really good in Artie There Guy. It's me, Margaret. I mean, didn't think that so this great. would happen. Oh my god, I cannot believe he was I, I didn't even put that together somehow. Yeah. And I mean that, and what's what's great about what's great about Benny Safty's role in this, specifically for uh, you know, the Springthorpe sickos out there, mm-hmm. he's doing he's doing like an improv team asked fucking yep. accent the whole time yeah i just looked i didn't look it up during the movie he's apparently supposed to be hungarian sure <laughs> if you I insist he was i honestly assumed he was russian <laughs> yeah who's to say yeah. he's he is talking like this he has we're going to blow up the whole atomic bomb i can't explain it but the moment he puts on an accent you're like i can't imagine this guy speaking in an american accent he just his face looks so foreign like he just yeah, looks. He, yeah. He's, um, he, look, Benny Safty. He he's a slob. Next up, we have <laughs> Kenneth Branagh as Niels Bohr. Wow, Kenneth is a just real, a real balls on the table performance. Yeah, I just think. like oh, Chris, you want me to come in for three days for this one? I hope you don't mind that my testicles are on the table every scene. I mean, just I real. hope you don't mind that I am doing what I perceive as a Danish accent. The man is just addicted to accents. He just because in Tenet, obviously he plays a Russian as obviously as if people speak. Good, good. Yes, I believe that in Tenet, at Tenet, at one point he says you cut off someone's balls and put them down their throat in a Russian accent, which is great. Um, so, so good. I mean, I have nothing Tenet to say. He right just now. he's great. I, I I almost nothing to say about Ken. He's, he's just great. He's so good. He is. It is. It's it's the heat check performance probably. Yeah. Because he's then not in that have... many scenes. He well, he he also has the like he has like the star moment yeah. where they go, Merry Christmas, friends. It's yeah. Neil's fucking ball. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest they, like, with you. I'm a physicist. Kenneth, Kenneth Branagh. I'm sorry. Yes. Sorry, Jake. But like okay. Kenneth Branagh, a man who made his like made his bread in Hollywood making adaptations of Shakespeare. Yeah. And now is obsessed with being Hercule Poirot yep. as long as he possibly can. Yep. This man, so serious, the director of Thor, mm-hmm. gets a like, guess who's fucking back moment in this movie. It's awesome. Um, anyway, c- continuing on. Mm-hmm. In his first normal person performance, where he successfully played a normal person in decades, and by that I mean five to ten years, Rami Malek is David Hill. Honestly, really good. And I haven't liked Rami Malek in anything... Honestly, I've never watched Mr. Robot. About, I feel very so, conflicted about it. I don't know. I honestly don't know if I've ever liked him in anything since I've never watched Mr. Robot. I think I think I found I, him bad in every other thing I've seen him in. 
I I feel super conflicted about this because when he is first presented to us, yeah, he is presented as a slimy little fuck, and I went, yes. wow, Christopher Nolan, he is so smart, he knows the cast and Rami Malek as the slimy little fuck, mm-hmm. and then Rami Malek's character gives an amazing testimony in a congressional hearing, and I had to have this moment where I went. Oh no, mm-hmm. is Rami Malik doing a really great performance that I love? Yeah. <laughs> is do, uh, look, I, I'm not gonna say he does he he deserved his best actor win. By far, I'm not saying that, but no. I'm like, look, should he have been nominated now? Like, should he have a nomination at least? Maybe he is, I think, so clearly capable at doing things. And I think that he, as you mentioned, I'm like sorry, first, Jake. What the fuck did you just say? Meaning that, like, he is capable of expressing uh, emotions. We love, folks. We love Robbie Malik. He's so capable of doing things. He's so capable. Like he's at capable doing things. of. It just it feels like every time I've ever seen him in anything, <laughs> he is like committing strongly to what he's doing. But I always think it's the wrong thing. <laughs> like that's the thing. Like yes. I think, oh, like, okay. I don't, that's I don't so think, great. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that. I don't so think correct. his take. I don't think his take on Freddie Mercury is incoherent. I think it's just bad. <laughs> like I, I think he's yeah. I mean, I uh, frankly, yeah. yeah. I, honestly, I think that he is the least bad part of the Eddie, the Fred, the Eddie. Yeah, Murphy probably is what I almost yeah. said. That he starts off. You see, because to Oppenheimer at the time we first meet him, he is a slimy like dork, you know. But he ends and, up and having the integrity. Is that he's doing that well, so you, yeah. you unfortunately have to say that the whole time, yeah. Rami Malek. Well, because of course, if you're really Oppenheimer. Well. If you're Oppenheimer and you want to keep your head down and not think about the ramifications of what you're doing, of course you see him as a slimy dork. But then 10 years later, this guy who had integrity previously by not wanting to drop the bomb, his integrity is what's going to save your ass. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of the whole... Anyway. We it's still really have, like, disheartening. It's actually, like, the worst. I, and, and also Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, the timestamps will be there so people can skip this. this is, I don't know why he's so highly billed, mostly because he has an Oscar. Casey Affleck is Boris Pash. Honestly, yeah. genuinely, he's genuinely scary in the scene he's in, but he's only in one scene. Mm-hmm. Um, he's genuinely scary, and I think it's another great casting move. Um, that's the thing. The casting of this movie, both movies, but this movie, like, brilliant in using people either. It, like, it, it is an equal match of, like, oh, wow, I didn't realize David Krumholtz could do yeah. that. Yeah. And, wow, wouldn't it be scary for someone who has the voice of Casey Affleck? Mm-hmm. To be really intimidating, yeah. Because hey, hey, man, you know, we're gonna. This is my job. I gotta like uh, because thing is, you just believe. You just believe when you see when because they're intercutting obviously the scene with him with Matt Damon explaining his backstory, and you hear him like being very calm, saying all these things, and then you hear like, oh yeah, this guy. His father was killed by Russian communists. He hates communists more than anything in the world. And then that just he, makes he what he's like, saying listed to fight the right. communists in the exactly. Bolshevik Revolution. Exactly. So you're like, oh. This now, where he seems calm, he now seems calculated, which is, you know, scarier. But let's move on. Yeah. A guy that I'm just happy is back, Josh Hartnett as Ernest Lawrence. I'm glad, I mean, I'm glad, I'm glad he's been added to the Wikipedia page because he wasn't when I, uh, so, so there was a tweet I shared with you, Jake, mm-hmm. a couple days mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. That was from, um, uh, Kyle something. I can't remember his last name from the New York Times. That's fine. Not fine. I mean, it's fine. You uh, can... uh, 
No, no. A, 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 a movie critic for the New York Times. Um, and he said that he was like, there is a moment in Oppenheimer where an, mm. a character is revealed and it is a movie star reveal. Mm. It's like he's he's got his head down. He's working yeah. on – he's an experimental mm. uh, physicist and he's like working on something. He's got his head down and Oppenheimer is like, uh, hello. And like someone like moves out of the way and then he kind of looks up and the camera like focuses in on him. And it's like a movie star performance and he was like – and I couldn't tell who it was and I looked it up. And it was Josh Hartnett, which is crazy that Josh Hartnett gets to have that moment, especially because it's very early in the film. Oh, man. Um, but uh, Josh Hartnett, pretty fucking great in this. People forget he was a fucking movie star, and then he was like, no thanks. You know? Yeah. But and Josh just... Hartnett, Josh Hartnett is the, is the guy, he looks, he kind of, he kind of looks like Christopher Nolan. Yes, he's styled like him for sure. He is he's the, all, it's it's a mix between Christopher Nolan and Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he looks like Aaron Sorkin to begin with. Like he just has the same facial yeah. structure. But uh-huh. so yeah, so it's it's just very funny. But he's so Ernest Lawrence. I I sent you that tweet and I looked up yeah. who he played and I know Ernest Lawrence. Ernest Lawrence like Laurentium is an element on the periodic mm. table. Um, uh, Ooh, according to Wikipedia, all- his middle name is Orlando. That's fun. That's insane. That's fucked up. I hate that. I take it all back. But I believe he's only one of I think he's only one of two people two people in this cat in this in the you know, two characters in this cast that have elements named after them. The other one being Borium, yeah. uh, which is like one of the really fucked up elements, but like Laurentium is like I think less fucked up. Um No, they're equally fucked up. Never mind. Either way, I mean they're he's yeah, a big they're deal. synthetic, I think, so they're all fucked up. Yeah, he's a big he's a big deal and um, he is, he provide he's the experimental to Oppenheimer's theoretical. Yeah. And he's the guy he's who's just not. The, he's also the like realist look, yeah. man, we can't be communists Yeah, to Oppenheimer's. What if I go to this party? Exactly. Then we have Florence Pugh, the great Flossie Rose, uh, as Gene Tatlock. Um, and there's a lot of discussions. Titties. Yes, I wasn't going to say it because I have self-respect, but yes. Uh, are you fucking they, kidding me? Who are you doing a podcast with? I know. They, Bro, have, they have... In the re- middle of this movie, in the middle of this movie, uh, fucking Oppenheimer has a vision where uh, Florence Pugh is fucking him in a chair and they're both naked while mm-hmm. in the interrogation room yeah. with Jason Clark and Emily Blunt's behind him. Yeah. And now I am become death, destroyer of worlds. Is said in say, this yeah. movie let's say this. Let's for say this. the first time. Yeah. While uh, let's just say they're fucking. I thought I had, and I don't want to be crass. I genuinely am not trying to be crass. If you gave me a thousand attempts to, of what was happening on screen when I now I am become Death Destroyer of Worlds was said, I would not have said. I would never have guessed that Florence Pugh's breast would be in the frame. <laughs> like, that's, yeah, you never that's would have. Guessed, you never would have guessed missionary. Missionary. Um, no, I mean if. I, Missionary, I think, is the ob- I mean, I feel like that's kind of. I don't think Christopher Nolan could direct a sex scene in any other sort of way. But look, okay, um, man, I, I I wasn't calling out the missionary. I'm kidding. Part I know, I'm I was kidding. just using that as sex. Yes, thing. it but is yeah, insane. She's fully she's fully naked, and of course, because Killian Murphy is the man, his shirt is just unbuttoned. Yeah, um, but she's I think really great. I think that she is kind of um, she's the dead wife. The 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 yes, but also once again, this uh, the whole thing when people like the age discourse, it's like uh. Baby, this girl died when she was twenty nine. Florence, she was twenty seven. She can't be much older. <laughs> like also, also, 
Oppenheimer was 41 when she died. Yeah. And Killian Murphy is 49 yeah. now. And he also has to play old later. Oppenheimer yeah. for this. Like, and, but, and I think that she's, she is a relatively people small who talk role. about that kind of stuff on the internet are um, dumb. Yeah. The, the role is relatively small, but I think that she's really good in it. And I think that she gives the, I think that her energy is very needed because she doesn't have, she's not a very stately actress. And I think that she works well in period pieces because she can play the character that is not okay with the way things are. And she very much is, yeah. you, 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 glean and she's the lot. commie, she's the commie, she's the bleeding exactly. heart liberal. Yeah. She's the bleeding heart. You commie get a lot about Oppenheimer's kind of head in the clouds, waywardness with her that like the fact that he would be not understand why it's he shouldn't be associating with her says a lot about his character and of course she has a tragic demise um but you know so okay did you catch in yes. the you caught the black glove yes that she that when he's thinking about her dying he's occasion some of the shots involve her being drowned to death um yeah because that's apparently a real thing though i was listening yeah. to the little gold men podcast today mm-hmm. and uh, it's an award season podcast. I'm shocked that Michael Springfield listens to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did uh, they do book club every so often when a movie is based on a book, and this movie is directly in directly based mm-hmm. off of American Prometheus, the Pulitzer Prize winning um, biography of Oppenheimer. And in the book, like they talked about how it is like was she killed by the CIA? Mm-hmm. Kind of like conspiracy stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but like obviously, the movie doesn't so, take a position on it. Uh, then it we have, but it does have a glove. Yes. See. Then we have the, I think probably Oscar winner from this movie, Robert Downey Jr. as Louis Strauss. Unfortunately, um, yes, he's the he's the Oscar winner. But I'm saying unfortunately only we'll get because of what's going to happen later in this yeah. episode. So, goddamn, is he fucking good? He is incredible. Uh, it's, it's, it's. Uh, yeah, you talked about it. We so this is actually we talked about this with the people in line behind us when we were taking the Barbie pictures. We were talking about Oppenheimer and specifically RDJ, and saying like he's amazing. And the thing about this movie is that, and and this was a this was a tw- you know this was like a, a tweet I saw or a review I saw that um he's it, the quote was that he's like finally quote unquote not doing the iron man voice he's not doing tony stark which the thing about that is like iron man is robert downey jr like that's just him like i want if you want watch the movie senior on netflix it's a documentary about robert's uh rdj's dad rds and like that's just how he talks like we've seen him in interviews like we know this Mm-hmm. we jake and i uh mm-hmm. and i think a lot of people on this pod but like jake and i as award sickos like we also think that like he should have at least been nominated for yeah. um iron some, man at one. least one iron man iron man one performance. Would be one. iron man one the avengers uh was never gonna happen but like the avengers avengers endgame like these are all like really fucking great performances and mm-hmm. you know rdj spider-man homecoming yeah, I mean, he's just—it's he, a great performance. In the scene, the scene where uh, Peter yells at him for just being a suit, and then he yeah. walks out of the suit, like that's the kind of shit where you're like, "Yeah, this guy got nominated for Chaplin." Yeah, but and with this performance, he's doing something completely different. And holy fuck, I think he's going to win the Oscar. I think that they very much will want to give it to him because I think that Hollywood loves him and is like, thank you for playing a real person again. And I... And also, I think- and also thank you for being... Like, look, as much as Hollywood wants to be like, 
thank you for playing a real person again. They also want to be like, oh, also, 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 thank you yeah. for all of the Avengers. Yeah. And I think that he is such an interesting character because he's like, ends up being, like I said, ends up being the villain, but he's also a complicated guy. And his points about Oppenheimer aren't wrong necessarily. He's a guy who is, like, he, so he plays... is, he's playing, he's playing Louis Strauss. Yes. Um, a, a, a fun pronunciation of Strauss. Yeah. Um, and he is the head of the, like, Nuclear Energy Committee. Atomic Energy Commission. Atomic Energy Commission. That's what it is. Um, and then he is nominated to become Secretary of Commerce. And that's what a lot of black and white scenes are, are his Senate hearings to be Secretary of Commerce. And basically, he fucks over Oppenheimer, but then mm -hmm. Oppenheimer gets the fuck over him again, and yeah. he does not get Secretary of Commerce. No, and I think and that Alden it's... Ehrenreich is, like, against him once Alden finds out what the whole story is. Yeah, it's just like a... He plays the the forces of like you know the military industrial complex in like a non cartoony way. Like it's just that you can't when he's speaking like about with the H bomb. I don't agree with him, but you can't help be compelled by the what he's saying about like what if the Soviets get an H bomb? Yada yada yada. Like yeah. he's not. He, I think that the thing that is important that this movie does is that like I think it's incredibly easy to look back at this time in history and be like, these people were so crazy with this arms race. And I think that that is the thing that like is probably true on balance, but I, I don't think you can tell the story correctly without having a guy who seems reasonable to be like, yes, but you don't understand if they get this, they can blow New York, Philadelphia and Boston all off the map in one second. So like, what do you know? Right. And that's what he's, and I think that he does that really well. Next and that, I mean, yeah, but that's like, that's, that's also like, he is providing that for the whole movie. Like yeah. that is, that is the moral quandary that the movie, the, the movie proposes where you're like, yes. Hey man, like we, we, you know, the, the Germans were already working on this. Like maybe we should. I mean, the fact that I always go back to is, and I don't, I don't, I think that on balance, we shouldn't have dropped the bombs, but that when we were planning, when we didn't know we had the bombs ready, when we were planning on a land invasion in Japan, we made enough Purple Hearts in order to, for our, for our estimate of how many people who would be dead or wounded yeah. from that invasion. This fact is insane. To, to today, we are still using those Purple Hearts. If you get a Purple Heart today, the Purple Heart you're getting is one that was made in anticipation of the Japanese invasion. We thought, I think, it was like 450,000 people would be dead or wounded. Um, yeah. So The Purple Heart that, J that John Kerry may or may not have is was made and the purple heart that if a person gets shot overseas tomorrow they will get a purple heart that was originally supposed to go to people who well, again, i end up coming down on the side that we shouldn't have but i think that it is i think it's very 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 easy to uh act yeah, like it was crazy. not a moral quant i saw a lot of people were like this he's not a morally complicated character he killed a lot of people it's like okay well then if you think that then you'll you're it, you'll inevitably make bad decisions if you think that every decision in the past was an easy one and they made the wrong one. That's how you go about making bad decisions. Um, anyway, uh, next up, we have a guy who I think is, this is one of the most selfless performances I've ever seen in a movie, given how famous this person is. Matt yes. Damon as Leslie Groves. For Matt Damon to play a supporting part in a movie with this much screen time that has basically no Oscar buzz at all, no, I don't know if any other A-lister who would put this much effort into a part that is basically just like a support part. Like, no big scenes, nothing. Like, he's just being a fucking movie star. And mm -hmm. it's it's very funny that we have, like, it. this movie kind of has, like, this this split. And it's not really a split because mm -hmm. it's kind of just Matt Damon versus yeah. this. But, like, the scientists are the character actors. Mm -hmm. And then Matt Damon, the movie star, who's, mm -hmm. like, 
the macho, uh, you know, military guy coming in and he's like, okay, we got to get this done now. Yeah. We got to get it. We I, gotta I, mean, get I think, it. of course, the thing that makes the character interesting is that he's actually not, he really is not like a big military guy. We learned he has like a master's in engineering and like is, you know, and I think that that's, of course, what makes Yeah, but he's, yeah, but he's the military head. No, you understand what you're saying. I, yeah, yeah, but I think I that know, the thing know, that makes know, him, know, you know, is that he ends up being more sympathetic to Oppenheimer than I think you'd imagine. But yeah, I, I don't have a ton to say about the performance because it's just so like natural and you know it's so low key. It's great. Um, it, it is it is quite comparable to his performance earlier this year in Air. Yeah. Um. Uh. You know, obviously he's not the main character like he was in Air, but like it is um an unglamorous performance yes. in a lot of ways, and the fact so, that like Matt Damon is doing that in 2023 is like. We should be I mean, clapping about it more. He's the most selfless movie star I think we have. Just the fact, I mean, if you look at his career, he's done so many more. He's done so many more supporting parts than basically any other person. Hundred percent. Uh, second to last, we have Emily Blunt as Kitty Oppenheimer, who I think is good in what she needs to do. I don't think that she doesn't get a ton to do through a lot of the movie. I think she makes she my was, top five. She has a couple of great scenes. I think the scene I alluded to earlier where she's being interrogated is really great. I think that she yeah. is one of the best actresses the at scene, playing drunk alive. Oh yeah, well, which is great because she's the her whole character is oh god, but she's such an alcoholic. She's not good at being a mother. Yeah, <laughs> but I, mean, I really love the scene at the end where yeah. they're, where they're old. Yeah. Oh right. And she like confront like she like confronts someone and she's like yelling at them almost. Well, no, it's not. She doesn't yell at anyone. It's that that uh, Oppenheimer is shaking everyone's hand who screwed him over, and she refuses to. That yeah, but that yeah, that's what it is. I'm I'm yeah. mixing up the two scenes with the with the yeah. interrogation. But yeah, um, she's it's great. Also great, but like uh, she's she's really great, and she doesn't have a lot to do. But then when she does have stuff to do, because it's a Nolan yeah. movie, but when she does have stuff to do, she's just fucking. She goes. Yeah, and I I love lines. That's where it's gonna says, go. When Oppenheimer's having like a breakdown because he learned that uh, Gene Tatlock, Florence Pugh's character, died. That she mm. says like you don't you don't get to sin and then have us pity you when like you make like like that idea that like and I think that's yes. kind of his whole that's kind of his whole thing. He finds like, him he in the middle mistakes. of the woods, like crawl, crawled up, like curled up, and she's just like get like she has this like I'm your wife moment where like she mm. hugs, but then she does that. She like calls him Which, out on it. Once again, is applicable to his whole life because what, you know, uh, he's just going to feel bad for himself about bad things he did and then expect people to be like, yep, yeah, you're right, you did a bad thing. And on top of all of that, she does a really good job of swilling a martini glass. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. And finally, we have Killing Murphy as J. Robert Oppenheimer. Now, Killing Murphy is an actor I've always liked a lot. Um, yeah. He is someone who I think at a lot of times in his career was too pretty to really do a lot of normal characters. Um, and I think now yeah. he just looks so haunted and yes. it's perfect because so many of the shots of this movie are just his face with sounds and lights. And I just was blown away by this performance. I, blown away, pun intended. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I will say, I just want to use this moment real quick because I thought of it. Um, you, you know this because you were sitting right next to me, but like mm-hmm. this movie like jump scared me three times. Yeah. <laughs> Twice in one scene. Mm-hmm. The sound design on this movie is impec. I mean, it's it's gonna win best sound. Yeah. It's it's so good. Uh, but like, wowza, wowza, wowza. But wow, Killian Murphy. I here's the thing. I am very happy that Killian Murphy is finally getting a major star, you know, lead mm-hmm. performance. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we both love the movie Sunshine, mm-hmm. um, yes. where he is the main character. It's a masterpiece. 2007, Danny Boyle's Sunshine. If you like Christopher Nolan movies, honestly, yeah, check out Sunshine. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Um, sci-fi drama with a little bit of horror in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he's the lead in that. But like, he's the lead in this and he is the lead. You know, this is just one of those mm-hmm. movies where it's like every other character just has like such a tiny fraction of time compared to mm-hmm. Killian Murphy on screen. And most of the movie, as you said, is also just him like looking at people. Mm-hmm. That's it's so difficult. He's amazing. I'm so happy that like Killian Murphy's gonna get nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, and, for like, sure. Fucking awesome. Yeah, he, like so. he's so good. He's amazing at this. It's also kind of impeccable that Christopher Nolan, one of one of Christopher Nolan's guys, just happens to have a pretty good passing resemblance to J. Robert Oppenheimer. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, I think he's great. Um, I don't really have a lot to say about it because I think it kind of speaks for itself. And I yeah. think that we need to move on to the second movie we're talking about because, you know, yes, there's we always so much time to do. And so I think, in summary, I think you've got our gist that Oppenheimer's uh, great. You should see it. I mean, you shouldn't, if you'd listen to all that, you should have saw it already. But um, we got to move on to the second movie we're talking about. I don't have an elegant transition. So after that, I, I mean, you know, maybe the main event for sure. a lot of folks yes. Barbie. Uh, Barbie was Bobby. Great. Yeah, it's great. Bobby was uh, Barbie was great. And I look back silly, the first time. The first time. Bobby. The first time I had the temerity to say, "What if Barbie is good?" was back in December 2020 when it was first announced, and Greta Gerwig wasn't even attached. And so I think that wow, a modern day Nostradamus is a title I would be fine with because okay, goddamn with you. <laughs> I hey. I'm gonna be honest. A lot of a lot of bullshit on the internet from um, very um, understandable sources about um, you know the fact that in, back in 2018 the Barbie movie was uh, attached with Amy Schumer. Yes, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, can you imagine if she was gonna be Barbie?" You know, you wouldn't even want to fuck Barbie. Yeah how how could you how could That's you have a Barbie movie? That. Where you don't want to fuck Barbie because Amy Schumer would be Barbie and nobody would want to fuck Barbie yeah. because nobody would want to fuck Amy Schumer. Yes. And the movie was going to be so fucking different. Yeah. What, like, what are you fucking I, talking I don't, about right now? I, I'm glad she didn't do it because I don't think the movie would be very good. But it is very annoying that so much of the men who complain about that, it's just that. It's just like, I'm, she couldn't play Barbie. Yeah. Like, Obviously, the movie would also, have been about also pretty. Like, what are we doing? Like, the, that's the movie what would have been about like her trying to. It was going to be. I feel pretty. Like, it was just yeah. going to be. I feel pretty too. That's all and it was going to be. I think that she is not a sophisticated enough comedian to make that interesting. So that's why I wouldn't want to watch that. But now we didn't have a director attached. Who knows? Yes. You know, maybe there was going to be some director yes. that was uh, a Greta Gerwig almost level. Either way. But, it's not the movie we had. We had Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, MC, the Marvel Cinematic Universe's Steamu Liu, Greta mm-hmm. Gerwig, uh, yes. music by Mark Ronson. Fucking look, man. They made a whole goddamn Barbie land. Yes. 
So let's talk about it. So like, this movie, so much is, in this movie is physical. Yes, this movie is like has almost no CGI. It's like an incredibly well designed movie, and it looks it looks gorgeous. It looks better than almost any movie you'll see this year. It looks um, like cotton candy. Yeah, like cotton candy being made. It like, just you it ever looks, like watch somebody making cotton candy? You're like, wow, that's amazing. How do they do? It that? is the that's best party. argument I've ever seen for physical sets. Um, mm-hmm. it's, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it just looks, it's just, it's uh, honestly, so much better. Where, where's the, the predator meme, uh, of the, uh, yeah. the clasping arms of like Barbie and asteroid city. Yeah. Physical sets. Um, oh, and God. I think that it is a story that is really rich and interesting. And there's only so much you and I as two men can say about it. And, um, if we had I'm planned this man, better, if we had planned this better, we would have had a third a woman go to the Barberheimer stuff with us. But also, we're making a plan to see two movies on a Thursday night, so like it's crazy that two people decided to do that. Um, Women aren't allowed but, to be sickos, and that's yeah. actually better for the economy. It is, but I think that this movie <laughs> is a perfect example of why it is good for really good filmmakers to be given a lot of free reign to do shit because holy shit why holy shit if i'm at mattel even if this movie makes two billion dollars i still might fire someone because this movie is not good for them i mean it's gonna sell units but it makes it look bad so here's the thing i've been thinking about here's 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 the thing i've been thinking about today because um you know the the new york there was like a new york times story last week i think or a week before where it was like, oh, with Barbie now, Mattel has yeah. all these plans for all these mm-hmm. movies that they're gonna make yeah. with all their toys. Here's the thing, I first of all, I'm gonna say what I'm about to say. I don't think it's gonna happen. No, there's zero same. chance same, that this is gonna same, happen. Same. People but, don't understand. Movies get announced but, all the fucking time. Oh, oh no, no, no! I don't even mean that. Like, oh, that's not gonna happen. Yeah, all these fucking Mattel movies are not going to happen. Yeah. Period. End of story. That's not gonna that like it's not gonna happen. But what I mean, what I'm saying is, I don't think on t- even if even if these movies were gonna happen, 100 mm-hmm. they were gonna happen. I don't think that what I'm about to describe is going to happen yes. with them. But here's what I'm saying: if as their flagship, as mm-hmm. their Iron Man, if you will, mm-hmm. to use clear like what will always be the example for these Mm -hmm. kinds of universes if this movie this barbie movie is that flagship Mm -hmm. is that flag planted in the ground Mm -hmm. and how mattel is mattel as a as an entity as a character is portrayed in this movie because it Mm -hmm. is will ferrell um honestly i think i'd be cool with it (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah, I, if yeah. Mattel is willing to be as like self-aware and self-deprecating as it, they are in this, like, I'll, it's not I'll just fucking the jokes. take it, man. The jokes are the top line thing to about them being a cool with stuff, but like the theme of the movie is is actually like it it takes on like it is a movie explicitly about the I feel like very Gen Xy complain about Barbies that they have unrealistic expectations, yada, 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 you know, that, um, and, uh, I think that that's a fair complaint. 
But I think that, like, instead of making a movie where it is about how, like, that at the end it shows that, no, Barbie does prove you can do anything, the f- moral of the movie kind of is, like, yeah, that whole bill of goods that Mattel's been selling us for 50 years is wrong. <laughs> like, that's kind of, like, like, obviously it's, yeah. it doesn't completely go again, but it is, it really interrogates the whole notion of what what does it mean if toys say you can do it all but they're just toys that don't actually have to live those lives and they can be perfect because they're toys and i think that like that is a thing that was more surprising to me than the fact that they make fun of mattel or whatever because i feel like there's there's a history of that where like companies will to get goodwill will let themselves be the butt of the joke but like it kind of you know it doesn't shy away from what the actual problems people have with Barbie are. And, but more, I think the most important thing about this movie for, in terms of it what I think into that, what it leans into. Yes. But I think the biggest thing that I took out of this movie is that it is really fucking funny. Like it is just a genuine laugh riot in a it way. So like fucking fun. I, I got looks in our audience I think there were once, once or twice laugh. I felt like obviously I have an insane laugh, but like I don't like like but like I get looks in audiences all the time when mm-hmm. I'm laughing because I will also laugh more often than most people. But like yeah. I was getting looks while also like people were like other people were laughing. Like, you know, I don't know. You know, it it, it was just like the whole audience was vibrating the whole yeah. time. Yes. Um, um, yeah. This movie's great. I feel like for this one, we should try to go plotty. I agree. I agree. So yeah, we start off with Barbie. Everything's perfect. And like I said, it looks incredible. Um, okay. It starts off. It oh, starts right. off. So do you, I, I, I don't know why I was about to phrase this as a question. I know you know the answer. You know this, but like, um, uh, listeners, if you remember, the first teaser for Barbie was a uh, parody of 2001 A Space Odyssey with Barbie as the black uh, obelisk with the monkeys. Mm-hmm. But instead of monkeys, it's a bunch of little girls mm-hmm. uh, acting as cavemen. And that is basically how the movie opens. Yeah. Plus, Helen Dame... The damn Helen Mirren mm-hmm. doing voiceover as the narrator, yeah. which was announced already, but still, um, doing voiceover over that and just kind of like setting the stage for what Barbie is. And then it kind of goes into Barbie land. Yes. And the whole conceit of the where movie, Lizzo does a theme song. Yes. The conceit of the movie is that in Barbie land, they think. That in the real world, Barbie has basically solved feminism and women can do whatever they want and there's no problems in the world because of Barbie. Which I think yes. is a very, very interesting and I like brave way of looking at it because I think what it does is it forces people it forces corporations who think that they are doing good things to interior like that they are deluding themselves in the same way that these Barbies are, is the idea. That like yeah. the by the way, I remembered the name of the New York Times reviewer, Kyle Buchanan. The right. same one who had the Josh Hartnett one had, had the Josh Hartnett tweet was the same person who had a tweet that about Barbie that was like, I can't believe they got away with this. Like yeah. Greta Gerwig got away with this because you know that there was a binder 
the size of Mount Everest from Mattel, let alone Warner Brothers, of like what they were allowed to, you know, do. And the fact that they set it up that way is amazing. Um, yeah. And yeah, so in Barbie, in Barbie land, mm-hmm. there are Barbies and there are Kens. So the whole idea is, and this has been like pretty clear in the marketing, is that, you know, Barbies can be anything and Kens are just Ken. And there's a very happy way of going about things. They have a party every day. There's, of course, the scene. Issa Rae is the president. Yes. Dua Lipa is a mermaid. Yes. And Margot uh, Robbie is labeled later in the movie as stereotypical Barbie. Yes. She is just Barbie. You know, just the basic Barbie. And Ken is her boyfriend, girlfriend. Um, and he his job, of course, is beach. Girlfriend, boyfriend. Girlfriend, boyfriend, sorry. His job is beach. Um, Not and, a lifeguard. No. And he's he doesn't work it's in common the ocean. misconception. No, just his job. He doesn't beach. work in the ocean. It's just beach. Uh, and he's guys. His main rival as a can is by played by Simu Liu, who I think is perfect casting because he has the look of like a beefy movie star. And you compare him to Ryan Gosling, and it's like, oh, right, a personality. That's the thing that he's missing, right? Of course. Also, I'm gonna be honest. Ryan Gosling is fucking shredded in yeah. this movie. Ryan Gosling looks. Has a better body than every other can, and yeah. like it's yeah. like to an insane degree. It is shocking how much to Simu Liu. Like yeah. you'd be like, obviously Simu Liu is probably going to be like the one with the eight pack. No, it's Ryan yeah. Gosling. No, exactly. So yeah, it's they're incredible. rivals. They threaten to beat each other off, which is another scene that was posted uh, beforehand. And yes. Ryan ends up. Uh, I'm gonna use the obviously. I be, we're gonna use the actors' names because they're all fucking named Barbie and Ken. <laughs> um, yeah, of course. And he tries to ride away. Of course, he ends up just running into the wave because it's not real. Um, it's a plastic and, wave. Yes. That Dua Lipa and John Cena appear behind as mermaids. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> but that's also like a, a great element of the physical set of this world. Like, yeah, you can you look at it, and as an audience, you're like that's a fake wave. Like yeah. immediately you see it even before it takes enough time to very clearly not move. Exactly. So you're like, so like, he ends up getting hurt. Like, you see that. And he gets fixed up. That's by actually Dr. a big Bar- part is all of the, in the, they, they have pools. Sorry. They have pools at their houses and there are multiple scenes where they just also, once again, I just want to remind you that this, no... this review is for people who have seen the movie. So I don't, we don't need to go through, uh, all the details. Like, I guess. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Good point. And, and uh, obviously it's, the whole thing, but where, like, also, there's no real food or water. And it's like, I mean, the visual gags are great where everything's fake. The bit with the shower is incredible. I mean, the audience is hooting and hollering. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yes. H and H and And so Hari Neff plays Dr. Barbie. Um, and she's assisted by Alexandra Ship, who's both writer Barbie, but also seems like she's helps as being a doctor. You know, you can do both. Um, Look, they do everything. Yeah, and so um, and there's just a lot of different big celebrate. We just a kind of a not a montage, but like a overview of it's a regular day in Barbie Land where everything is great, where yeah. there's awards or just and Lizzo's Lizzo's uh, theme song has like call and response <laughs> with the characters. Mm-hmm. It's great. Um, it's so much fun, and you're seeing all of the physical Barbie land. It's mm. God, it's so good. It's gorgeous. Um, it's gorgeous, and then they have a big party at the end, which mm-hmm. is where the now famous line from the trailer mm-hmm. pops up, where Barbie Margot Robbie goes, mm. 
do you guys ever think about dying? Yeah. And like major record scratch. And that's where things start to go south. Exactly. So she then wakes up the next day and she has bad breath. Her milk's expired. The shower is cold, which is the be- one of the funniest bits. I mean. And both of those are so great because, again, there is not water coming mm-hmm. out of the shower. But Margot Robbie is reacting like there is cold water coming out of the shower. Margot Robbie is not – there is no milk pouring out of yeah. the milk carton, but Margot Robbie is reacting like it is sour milk. And she like tastes it and goes, ugh, and then smells the carton. Like she does yeah. the whole move. Yeah. So good. It's just great stuff. And so she's and, having a bad day. She falls well, no, off no, her house. She, she – yeah, she falls off her house because Barbie – they say this explicitly in the movie. You know, they don't – you don't walk down the stairs. You just kind of move them around. So that's why they all just kind of float down from their houses. She falls down. She goes to the beach, and that's where her feet go flat. Which I think is a wonderful, like, physicalization of what's going on. I, I still remember where I was. Mm. And granted, I was on the first day of – an idyllic vacation in Lisbon, Portugal, when this happened. But I still remember where I was. We had arrived in Lisbon when the Barbie tra- the, the first Barbie trailer dropped. Mm-hmm. Um, we had arrived in Lisbon. We, we just had, we had, you know, jet lag. So we were all just kind of having, it was me, my boyfriend, and both of our moms. And we all went separately, did our own thing. I went and took a long walk through the city and I stopped at a piazza. Um, which is not what they call them, but they call them prazas. Um, but I uh, stopped at a piazza and like got a beer and like sat down at a table, opened up Twitter and saw that the Barbie trailer was out. And I remember when she, the shot that we all know now, where she steps out of her heels and her feet stay in that position, the heel position. I That was the moment I knew that Greta Gerwig had fucking done it. Yeah, and seeing that again in the theater, and then seeing the like flatness, mm-hmm. and then getting some real Tarantino shit, yeah, of Margot Robbie's feet, yeah, in the sand and stuff, um, fully flat, looking real big, looking like real big honkers. She's got some fucking, she's got some to. goddamn paddles honor it looks like and so she starts freaking out about this and i love that she shows that the other barbies and they're like freaked out too um they find you know yeah. and so they get the advice that she gets is to go see weird barbie who is played by kate mckinnon uh which is of course Gay the barbie barbie. That, yes the but the barbie that you like play with too much that you draw on and the whole idea is she's always in the split she has writing all over her hair is messed up um uh it reminds me of a story that my mother suzanne redmond um I'll give her a full name. Who cares? Um, uh, said that, so my mom grew up on a canal off of a river, off the intercoastal in Cocoa Beach, Florida. And uh, she and her sister would take their Barbies out on their surfboards while they would just like paddle around mm-hmm. in the canal and the river. <laughs> and they put their Barbies out and all their Barbies hair fell out after they brought them in the canal. And, like, that's what Weird Barbie is. Bar- Weird Barbie is the I hope that the Barbie scissor Barbie. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so, basically, the thing, she gives, like, a Matrix-like speech about 
you know, the way the real world works. A, a fully Matrix speech. Yeah. It's a Birkenstock versus a heel. It's in the trailer. Yeah. It's And the idea is that whoever is playing with her in the real world is sad. And so she needs to go to the real world and fix this person's sadness so she's not sad anymore. The, the idea that yeah. whatever the person playing with the Barbie is feeling is passed on to the Barbie. So she needs to go to the real world. And how does she go to the yeah. real world? What's the, what's the transport to the real world? Uh, it's many transports. It actually mm-hmm. reminded me of the movie Elf. Mm-hmm. Where to get from the North Pole to New York City, he has to like go on an ice floe and then through the Gumdrop Canyon and then through the uh, Candy Cane Forest and then through the Lincoln Tunnel. Yes, <laughs> it's it's through it's on the 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 Barbie dream car mm-hmm. and then like on a snowmobile and then on a rocket and then on a boat yeah. and then finally you get to Malibu Beach. Exactly where they're roller skating and. Barbie is and obviously immediate... Ken appears. Yes. Ken appears. Oh yeah, Ken's the, Ken Ken shows up too, and they're both. Yeah. Ryan skating. Gosling appears. This is this is in the trailer. Ryan Gosling appears. They get out. They start rollerblading down uh, Malibu Beach. This is one of the first set photos that was leaked from the movie a year and a half ago. Now, so the whole um, idea is that she is completely floored by the fact that the world is not the feminist paradise she thought it was that she gets yeah, like very on. quickly she's getting cat called and she's like yeah. whoa and there is the great joke where she says to the construction workers cat calling them of just so you know i don't have a vagina <laughs> yeah well there's there's a there's a very there's i thought a very funny joke beforehand because there is a moment in barbie land where all the construction workers are barbies and right. she goes oh let's go talk to the construction workers they'll be safe like she's yeah. being actively catcalled and they're like yeah. oh god we need and then I, forget, I, forget the construction what, I forget what the cat called the construction worker says is but uh barbie says something like i think the line is like that entendre sounds like there's a double meaning to it <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah amazing amazing um and so ken's so kind of they, confused they're, they're they're going around they're trying to they get confused yes they get arrested first because she punches a guy then they get arrested for stealing clothes um because they don't yeah. know uh, how to live in the world, and so as they're right. she's she's trying to figure out who the, her person is, and Ken goes off to explore. And so what Barbie mm-hmm. is doing is she's having like visions of a t- teen girl and her mother, uh, but we think just the teen girl who is the person playing with her. So she's like, oh, I gotta save this person. And as this is going on, the thing that really is like the main plot driver for a lot of it is Ken discovers the patriarchy. Now, as Ben Shapiro tweeted, they use the word patriarchy yeah. ten times in the movie. Now, a thing that I posit is I that think... That seems low. I think that this movie, especially the second half of it, is legitimately the best demonstration I've seen in pop culture of the notion that patriarchy is also bad for men. Because I think that, like, this movie, I think, is actually a very valuable, yes. interesting way of showing yes. that, like, oh, it's like... Because, obviously, once again, the main messages of this movie are for young women, but I can't really speak to those. But I can say that this movie is very much like a oh, if you're building society from scratch and you decided to make either gender the dominant one, it's not good for that. Like, the Kens are all miserable. Ken thinks he wants to be in charge, but he doesn't. The, the, uh, the, the, I'm just Ken, like the ballad that mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling performs mm-hmm. in the middle of the movie is at his lowest moment, which is at his highest moment, you know, exactly. on the surface. But like, he's... He's feeling so bad because he doesn't know what to do um, as the boss now, Mm -hmm. frankly. Yes. So Um, they end up going to – Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. They go to the school. No, no, I was going to say. They go to the the school. 
they like <laughs> that's where Bar- actually that's where Ken finds out about the right. patriarchy because yeah, he goes to the library of the school yes. and reads a bunch of, gets a bunch of books. One of them like, is about horses, though. I, yes, the yes. horses bit is it's about patriarchy and horses. Well, the first thing he says, like, I'm going to go. He says, I'm going to go in the library and see if they have any books about trucks. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's just like yeah, the whole thing. Later in the movie, Ken basically creates like a, a dictatorship, uh, a, a Ken dictatorship, and it's like Ken's and also horses. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as they're at the school, uh, she, uh, Barbie yeah. finds uh, Sasha, the girl she's seeing, and she gets completely mm-hmm. eviscerated. You know about all the bad things that Barbie does, and Gen Z absolutely destroys yeah. Barbie. And I think Margot Robbie, I think Margot Robbie's fantastic in this movie, uh, completely because I think that she's kind of given an impossible task. Um, I think that this is a part that is just deceptively very will hard. be nominated. Yes, we'll talk and about I it think, again. I have yeah. it written down. Uh, but I think that this is a great scene, and she's but also the school has terrible security. Um, insanely bad yeah. security but I, the more, what might be it. my second or third favorite line in the movie is that Sasha calls her a fascist and later she says she called me a fascist but I don't even control the railroad or food supply that's yes that is so <laughs> fucking funny <laughs> of the style of comedy of this yes. movie this movie is not it's PG thirteen, but it's not really inappropriate for children. But to be completely frank, yeah. I don't really know how funny a kid would find this movie. Like, I think there'd be stuff they'd find funny, but a lot of the so, jokes are not. We we Cecilia asked about this in the chat, mm-hmm. uh, in the Discord chat today. Uh, subscribe to Patreon, MC mm-hmm. University Pod Cast mm-hmm. on Patreon. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm trying to plug it's in, you it's it's, right it's MC University Podcast, but you'll find. I mean, it's in our Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, subscribe on the Discord. Uh, Cecilia was asking about it, and um, a friend of the pod, and uh, I was like, "Look, I don't, I don't. It's it's adult in its like themes, but not yeah. in its like content. Yeah. But also, I think a kid think kids will still like it. Yeah, they will. They definitely will. It's like it's cotton candy. You know, yeah. it, it's cotton candy and and Ryan Gosling has a musical moment and it's, it's going to be fun. And so speaking of Ryan Gosling, this is when Ryan Gosling, he's walking and he, a random woman asks him for the time. And he is so shocked by this, that someone would trust him. To, <laughs> and the thing about this is that, like, I think what needs, just needs to be said is that you alluded to it, that it's unfortunate that Robert Downey Jr. is probably going to win the Oscar. And I think I agree. We're discussing this. Who do we think is a better performance, Robert Downey Jr. or Ryan Gosling? And I thought about it long and hard last night. And I think that Ryan Gosling is better. I think like this. I think his performance is Hands one of the finest performances I've ever seen in a movie. And I don't say that lightly. I think he is. Yeah, Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling is in this movie. He will get the Melissa McCarthy and Bridesmaids nomination. Mm-hmm. I, I, hands down, he's getting nominated. But like, he's. I don't think he's gonna win. But like, holy fucking shit. It's it, like he's, I, he's, I, I am a I am a crazy stupid love stan. Uh, yes. I like the nice guys love it. Yeah. Like I'm not like one of these one of these pricks out here that's like Is Ryan Gosling actually Ryan good? Gosling can be yeah. funny. Can Ryan Gosling be funny? I don't get no. it. No. He, of course he can. And I was still and and even also that plus all the hype yeah. of Ryan Gosling in this movie. <laughs> And I was still floored. It's it's 
so funny because he plays every moment at the beginning completely sincere and then he plays every moment when he's like in the patriarchy mode so obviously insecure <laughs> that like it's yes no i was so i was talking to my mom about this today uh we were, we were talking about both of the movies and i was like it is one of those great performances where like you can just see everything in his eyes yeah and he his character is acting for a lot of the movie mm-hmm. and you get to watch the performance through ryan gosling's eyes and he does such a good job of portraying yeah a very sad, lonely Ken who just needs to be a plus one, but is suddenly, you know, feels like he should be the boss. So he then decides because the world is patriarchy that he wants to become, first he tries to get a job in business. And the scene with him and like the executive where like they say like, oh, we don't do that anymore. We don't hide we're just men anymore. And then he admits though that we're trying to, we're just doing it more secretly. Great stuff. Yeah. yeah. The the scene in the trailers with him wanting to be a doctor great and then he tries to get a job as a life he, he tries to get a job on the beach as beach but he they don't do beach in the he tries world. to get a job of beach mm-hmm. but they only have lifeguards basically mm-hmm. um, and so, but he goes back to barbie land yes he goes back to barbie land with his new Margo, knowledge yeah with his new knowledge margot robbie stays in the real world she goes to mattel or sorry she gets apprehended and brought yeah. to mattel because it's apparently this isn't the work. first time that a Barbie character has gotten to the real world. Apparently 10 years ago, yeah. Skippy <laughs> went to Key West. Right. Here's the other thing. If Mattel wants to do this, fucking make Will Ferrell your Samuel L. Jackson. I agree. Make, make a world where yeah. Mattel toys exist in their own worlds and just, just do that the whole time. Yeah. And like, so – yeah. That's how you make Hot Wheels or whatever, like mm-hmm. feminist or something, or and uh, so homophilic. She gets abducted, and um, because basically there's like a low level guy who realizes that Barbie's in the real world and tells the yeah, yeah, yeah. And the great thing, is, which I think is you know very on the nose, but once again, I think that in big budget entertainment, being on the nose is like important. Um, Every single person on the board of Mattel talking about Barbies, they're all men. Um, which, oh, white men. Yeah, white mostly. men. I think – There's a couple there I think like A couple still. people who are not white, but like yeah. mostly white yeah. men. And of course, it's led by Will Ferrell, who is doing Talladega Nights. He's yeah. doing his thing. I, I don't love it. I think it's, I think it's funny. Oh, interesting. I think it's, it's I, funny. I, thought, I think he's kind of – funny. I wish – I at can I, be, I can be honest. I wish he would do something else at some point. <laughs> I w- I mean I think there's funny moments that's with him. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. That's I, fair. I, 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 it just is exactly what I imagined the performance to be. And I know that Will yeah, Ferrell yeah. is capable of doing other shades of comedy. And it's a bit frustrating that in any movie he's not the lead at this point. He always is just doing the one thing, which is kind of like a. I mean, I think it's that's fine fair. for this because he's not even being a role, even but... in Eurovision. He's kind of doing it. He's kind of yes, like, um, but he allows himself to be more sensitive. The difference is he. I think Will Ferrell is funnier when he allows himself to be sensitive, and I think that when he's in the yeah. small part, he doesn't have an. He does it a little bit here, but like. Um, yeah, 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 like this and Lego Movie, which is the obvious comparison yeah. because again, Will Ferrell. Yeah. Um. Uh. Sorry, an obvious comparison to this movie because Toys. of Will Ferrell, but obviously a Will Ferrell uh, mm-hmm. comparison. It's like. He doesn't there there's no um um interiority 
yeah. to these characters because yeah. they're they're like I mean I actually would argue people. that there's a ton of with president business. I actually would say that that's kind of the whole thing is that he's clearly a man who doesn't know how to relate to his son other than toys. But I mean sure, but uh, but you know what I mean? Like he's not able to do the same kind of stuff when yeah, he's I, doing I, these it, side characters. I, I, what I'm say, trying to I, say. I think that the movie would have been I think a little richer if there was they don't need to give him a sympathetic backstory or anything, but I think that like. I think that you actually could get a lot of good commentary over how, once again, there's small jokes at it, but like, how does this Will Ferrell character justify having an all-male board for the company that owns Barbie? Like, I think that there's just hey, not... Question. Yeah. Question. Yeah. What if, instead of Will Ferrell, mm-hmm. they had Kenneth Branagh? I mean, it's a very different <laughs> movie. I mean, uh, but, yeah. But, no, no, no. Everything is the same. Uh-huh. Everything is the same, but they get, like... Someone with like some some kind of Oscar caliber. Can I tell exactly who it should be? Like, Can I tell who it should be? Yes, I want to. Ray Fines. Fuck me. Yeah, Jesus it's a better Christ. movie. I hate to say it. I hate to say it, but it's a better movie if Ray Fines plays that. It one. is. It is a better. I yeah. That is. That is. That is gonna be one of the only not criticisms I have against other movies. Yeah, yeah it was just a, a thing problem, that was nothing because like, it's just like it oh, Will Ferrell is doing his thing. Was a yeah, he's doing his thing. But also, also, it's a good thing. You fucking get Will Ferrell. Like, yeah. look, you're gonna get fucking buckets. As I so, said. Anyway, we also see that America Ferrera Chase, She runs is out, his, she runs you know, out it's his secretary Ferrera picks her up. And yeah. I will say this America Ferreira is really, 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 really good in this movie. And Hollywood really She's really, really, really good. So, I just hate Hollywood so much. Like, how the fuck did it take her to be forty before she gets like a really good movie role after a sisterhood of the traveling pants? Yeah, well, as someone who was, you know, she was Ugly Betty. I know, I understand, but I said that's that's not, No, no, I know, that's not the same. No, 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 I know, yeah. we're on the same page. I'm just saying, like, she has, like, these TV roles, mm-hmm. and it's like, come on, guys. Like, look at her. Like, she, she's got it. And, and, and this movie is proof of it. Superstore entertained my father, George Christie, for many years. So, like, that was a service, too. Um... <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, so, basically, she is the secretary to the board mm-hmm. and you find out that she is the person who is, she is the human for Barb yes. for Margot Robbie's Barbie, mm-hmm. not her daughter, her daughter, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, her daughter. I sound like I'm fucking in, um, Mayor of <laughs> Easttown. Oh, hello. Oh, oh. I was going to say, Oh, hello. <laughs> no. uh, um, yeah, but yeah. So, so well, then you know, they are you know, like on speak, adventures though. together. Well, no, they escape, but who does she run? Who does Barbie run into before she can escape? She goes into a room. She runs into the creator of Barbie. On the and I'm app. assuming that they got the okay to do this, because if not, it'd be a little insensitive. But Rhea Perlman yeah. plays the ghost of uh, Ruth Handler, who is the creator of Barbie. And I do love that. I think it's later on that they reference the fact that she was arrested for tax evasion. <laughs> like, this movie is just like, like, we talk about the plot, but like, I, I this movie wanna, is written by like two Oscar nominees. So we can come back to Rhea Paramount. Okay, okay, sure, sure. So they get in the car. There's a car chase. I mean, we talked about it in the time, but like that was really that was big for me. Yeah. So they get in a car chase, and they decide that the, what they need to do is they need to go back to um, they need to Barbie go back Land. to Barbie Land because the, if they need to get um, America First character Gloria out of her existential crisis, which will get Barbie out yeah. of her existential crisis. But they go back. Which is great because that now means we have – now we didn't talk about it. But like now twice 
gone back in reverse yes. the Gumdrop Canyon and what's in the Candy Cane Forest. Those are all practical, by the way. One with Ryan Gosling. No, no, I know they're fully practical. One with Ryan Gosling, one with America Ferrera, Margot Robbie, and America Ferrera. Ferrera's Ariana Greenblatt. Daughter. Ariana Greenblatt. Oh, I know her. Never mind. Um, uh, I, I know the name. Sorry. So they go yeah, back. We got it in reverse. It's great. And when they go there, it's different because now it's a Kendom. Because Ken has introduced Patreon. Kendom. It's a Kendom. One of, I mean, some of the bits here are so fucking funny. This is just... So everything is flipped. Yeah. Now the Kens are in charge, and the Barbies are subservient to the Kens. And they're all dressed like before. maids. Um, yeah, they're all like slutty maids. Yes. And the Kens are dressed... I mean, this is where Ryan Gosling has the like fur coat with no shirt. And, and can we now talk about the other Barbies that we haven't really referenced? Because I feel like they're... Uh, well, yeah. Let's so we have, it, as dude. we mentioned, Issa Rae is President Barbie. We have Hari Neff as Dr. Barbie. Once I just want to say as an aside, uh, this is how you cast a trans person in your movie. You just cast them as a character and you don't reference it. Um, yeah, but also also as someone who like follows lots of trans people, specifically trans women on Twitter, like fucking huge. Like Hari Neff also, like she's like, this was huge for her, but mm-hmm. like, I mean, it was a movie for the dolls and for the dolls. And, like, exactly. the dolls, meaning, you know, we trans have, women, uh, is, like, a common parlance. And it's it's just really exciting yes. to see it. And, and I, yeah, it's, I think that it, it is... It, every time... Also, fair enough, fucking Slayed. Yeah, she's great. She's really She's very really funny. good. I mean, and then we have Alexander I think she Alexander might be one of my Stone. favorite... She we might be a- my favorite... Non Margot Robbie, uh, non Alexandra Ship, who is an actress that like I oh, just God. I needed to happen so for. Good. I needed to happen for because she was really fucked by Jeez. the bad X Men movies. Love Simon. Um, she's so I, good. She's in also Simon. incredible. She everything for her. She's incredible in Tic Tac Boom. Her song "Come to Your Senses" is great. Oh God, um, fuck! I forgot about that. God, she's uh, so good. So yeah, Emma Mackey. Who yeah, of she's course, amazing looks like Margot Robbie, but because they have different hair color, they cut the joke. They were going to do a joke where they like admit they look like each other, but they didn't because the hair color difference. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. And I remember seeing a news article about that, where they also included a picture of Emma Mackey as Barbie in it. And I was like, and the whole thing was like, Oh, they don't actually look enough like each other to make the joke work. Yeah, they do. I'm sorry, Margot, but they do. I'll say this. I know you're an executive producer on this movie too, but like they do. I think that you guys I think look like. I think Samara Weaving looks more like Margot Robbie, but they do still look correct. As I've said, correct. Margot Robbie needs to do a movie next year with Jamie Presley, so she can co- complete the triumvirate of actresses who look like Margot Robbie at different ages. <laughs> so anyway, the next up we have we have Sharon Rooney as Lawyer Barbie. I'm not really familiar with Sharon Rooney, but she's good. Um, Anna yeah. Cruz Kane. All the Barbies are great. Good. Dua Lipa. As always, I feel right. like we could we could spend twenty three hours. Mermaid re- Barbies, what? yes, Mermaid Barb. All the Mer- she Mermaid plays Barbies. all of the Mermaid Barbies because there's like three of them. And I think you and I agree that if we spent twenty three and a half hours every day talking about how crazy it is that her legal name is Dua Lipa, that would not be enough time. Um, Correct. Uh, Nicola Correct. Coughlin as Diplomat Barbie. I think she's in like one scene, but happy to have her. Uh, Let's go redo Araya, redo Aria from Polite Society and more. As journalist Barbie, 
And then Marisa Abella as Princess Barbie, who I barely remember her being in it. No offense. I just, there's just a lot of Barbies. Yeah. Um, it's a lot. Then we have the Kens. We have Simu, as we yeah. mentioned. We have Kingsley Benadir, another MCU guy who gets a lot more to do in this. Um, He's, yeah, it, it is, it is kind of unfortunate that in, in the midst of Secret Invasion, his best performance comes yeah. from Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> then we have, and I saw before this movie, someone say that Chris Evans' gay brother has a surprising amount of screen time. And that is a correct statement. Scott Evans uh, is one of the Kens. Do you not know that that's Chris Evans' gay brother? That is Chris Evans' gay brother. Mm-hmm. Well, did you know Jake that he had a gay Christie. brother who was an actor? Jake Christie? Mm-hmm. Everything you're saying to me is new. Wow. That is... that. So that's the kind of, like... Like, let's be honest, like, a little chunkier Ken. Ken. The chunkier one, yeah. I mean, the one, when I, the one, the only major Ken that I'm, I I'm use. using, I'm using chunky in a very subjective sense. As no, but yeah, he, yeah. Chunky but, Ken, yeah. but like, like, yeah. holy fuck, I'm, I'm floored right now. He's yeah. the fourth Ken. Uh, the fifth Ken. In a pretty a sh- good, is solid way. Sorry. Is, uh, uh, that's, that's crazy to me. Yeah. This is big for you. Continue. Is Shuti Gatwa, who is the new Doctor Who. Yes. Um, excited to see him. Well, of course, he's the new Doctor. Doctor New, but, as we call him. Yep. Uh, then we have uh, Rob Brydon as the Sugar Daddy Ken, which is kind of a solid cameo. And then John Cena, who oh, plays the Merman. Loved, loved yes. Rob Brydon as Sugar Daddy Ken. And then we also have Alan, who is Ken's friend, played by Michael Sarah, who becomes an important character later. Yes, yes. So basically, all the Kens get infected. Alan does not get, like, mm. infected with the, the Kenergy. And so... Alan is on the side of the Barbies. <laughs> yes. Um, and I will say the last person in Barbie them. land is, of course, Midge, who is pregnant Barbie, played by uh, Oscar-winning writer-director Emerald Fennell. Oscar winner! <laughs> Emerald Fennell, the Fennell. writer-director of Promising Young Woman, one of the best yes. movies of 2020. Yes. Um, and so, uh, just I think it's just with, great. With not even, not even a moment, to be clear. And so, but no, but the bit where the bit where Helen Mirren is like, and this is Midge, pregnant Barbie, which they discontinued because it weirded people out. It's very funny. So they end up, so they make a patriarchal system, and well, the thing that happens earlier is when they're in the car in the Indigo Indigo Girl song. Um, what's it called? I apologize, I don't remember off the top of my head. It, it's the one that goes. Yeah, that's the song that always plays. But now in the Ken Dom, and this you looked at me because you know how I feel about mid two thousands rock. This is actually like early two thousands rock. And I don't even like Matchbox 20, really. But the song that all the kids sing is pushed by Matchbox 20, which is the Well, I will, well, I will, which yeah. I just, that's just, that is a number one joke that, like, I have no idea what anyone who's 10 would get out of that. But it is, like, such a specific. I, well, you know what it was? You know what it was, mm-hmm. man? Like, that's no bomb back. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you know what? I don't think it's that. I think it's where they were think, remembering the guys in high school who sucked. Because I think that's even Actually, a little too. You're so Because Noah Brownback was like 33 so when that was no, coming out. Noah was like, Noah was like, what? Yeah. Um, <laughs> she was like, just trust me on this. Then what happens is the Ken Dunn, there's a bunch of great details. They keep saying Brewski beer me, which I think is a thing you're going to start to say. I think you have to. I mean. It's it's really unfortunate. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's, it's bad. <laughs> I'm definitely going to say it. Brewski beer me. It, the thing is, they, they the, speak like they are AI generated. The Kens do, yeah. which is exactly what it is because they are now left 
to run things and they don't they don't have their regulators. They don't and know it's, how it's just very funny. They also don't know how to be dudes because they're just mimicking things that they know secondhand because they've never lived they in a patriarchal society. Are, they, they're secondary people. It's almost um, as if patriarchy causes men to perform masculinity in ways in order to conform. Yeah. Oh, good. So the so Margot Robbie. Wait, can I say uh, one more observation Ferreira. before? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the one problem with this movie being written by Greta Gerwig, who's like you know an artsy kid who went to Barnard College, and then Noah Baumbach, who's like a artsy you know angsty Gen Xer, is that the thing they don't recognize is that these kids, the thing they actually should be doing is sitting around in a circle just naming pl- baseball players from the two thousands. Like that's really what they. <laughs> <laughs> I was so like. What are we about to say, man? I know it's not going to actually be like a problem, but, but no, like, but like that—that what, what that is the energy they have. That's like, <laughs> yo, dude, do you remember like Rocco Baldelli? Oh, Rocco Baldelli! Oh man, like that's what they'd be doing. Yeah, but yeah you were saying. Um. So so, uh, the plot continues. They realize with Alexander Ship's Barbie that they can deprogram these Barbies. From the Kendom. Well, first we are so skipping they, over the gigantic speech that America Fur gives the speech to. Oh right, because oh oh sorry, I realized that she's in that scene. You're right, you're right. You're right I don't, no, no, I don't remember. I'm just, I, like. I, oh, no, she I gives the, the speech, the long speech that apparently Meryl Streep said after reading the script that she wished she could give the speech. That was the thing that Meryl Streep said about it. Um, Interesting. I did not know that fact whatsoever. I I think it was. I, I don't know if it was. It was in the E W around the table. Uh, thing because I watch all yeah, that shit. No, no, I just I've never I had not. Heard and that. so, um, it's about the contradictions they start, of womanhood. They start deprogramming the Barbies, basically. But the important thing, though, is that when America first says that she's not dying to deprogram anyone, she's just trying to explain because Margot Robbie is feeling all these feelings of existential dread, yada yada, and she doesn't understand them because she's never been a human being. And so she, yeah. America Ferrer basically goes on a spiel, not a spiel because that makes it sound bad, but like a long, you know, speech about how the contradictions of being a woman in the modern world and all these different things. Mm-hmm. And they realize that doing that deprograms Barbies. So they do a bunch of gambits to get all the Barbies away from the cans to deprogram them. And this is an incredibly yeah, fun and they work. They work with Alan, mm-hmm. Michael Sarah's Alan. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it is an incredible sequence where the Barbies will be with the cat, with their cans and doing, you know, subservient uh, Barbie things for their cans. And then they like surreptitiously kidnap them and read them feminist theory, basically. Yeah. Well, because <laughs> the idea is they use, they and then use they like, other Barbies. They like break out like two sentences in. Yeah. Every Barbie is like, oh my God, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. The, what are we talking the about? The thing right is, now? all I'm, the deep Barbies board. join up and they start like they perform like. You know, Alexander Ship pretends not to know how to use Photoshop. Um, I think yeah, Sharon yeah, Rooney is the one is. Yeah, who, yeah. Say, who says that she's never seen The Godfather. Or, like, they do a bunch of things that will make them want to, you know. And so they yeah, end up- that they, do, they They basically distract the Kens mm-hmm. with, like, I've never heard of The Godfather kind of bullshit. And, uh, and, and so they end up getting all the Barbies deprogrammed. And then they decide that they need to get the Kens against each other so then they can hold a vote to make sure the Barbies stay in charge. And so they do this yeah. by all of the Kens are singing Push by Matchbox 20 <laughs> to the Barbies, and they start getting them jealous against each other, specifically Ryan Gosling and some music. And so yes. the next day, they decide they're going to have a isn't, big fight. Isn't the big musical number the I'm Just a Ken or whatever? No, no that happens that, that night. Yeah, right, right. That's, that's that, that is, night into the next morning. They, like, 
they sing this whole it starts just ryan gosling but it's all the kens sing this number i'm just a ken i think is what the name of the song is mm-hmm. um and it's like while they're doing that the election happens the quote-unquote election happens and all the barbies just like make the decisions themselves <laughs> um and uh because all the kens are distracted there's a, this just reminded me of a great joke there is also a supreme court in barbie land Mm-hmm. That is, of course, all Barbies. Mm-hmm. And when Ken and Barbie first enter the real world, they see a billboard of a bunch of like swimsuit models. Maybe it's like it's like a, a it's like a billboard for like a Love Island, mm-hmm. where but it's like yeah. just the women on, or maybe it's mm-hmm. like The Bachelor or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Margot goes, "Oh, the Supreme Court," mm-hmm. <laughs> which is great because they're in bikinis, also. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, the Supreme Court in Barbie Land is like in bikinis because exactly. they're going to the beach too. So it's, they it's, there's the, the the big Ken fight, which I think is incredibly hilarious because they're using not weapons, using like tennis rackets and like suction cup arrows. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that it ends up turning into they're a dance using number. toys. Yes, it turned into a dance number, which is incredible. And as this is happening, the Mattel board goes to Barbie Land too to try to stop. Because basically, when yeah, the yeah, Will Ferrell and the board also arrive, and because when the Kens take over, that changes the, the reverse, the reverse, yeah. you know, candy drop. Candy and then there's there. the great bit after the dance where Kings of Bandier is like, "Wait, weren't we supposed to vote on this, on the changing the laws today?" <laughs> <laughs> and by that yeah. time, they already the laws were changed again. The Barbie Land's back to normal, quote unquote. But the Kens are mad, and Ken reveals that you know all he's miserable, all he wants is for Barbie to love him. But she doesn't, yeah. and you know, it's kind of the reverse. It's like the whole—I mean, the whole idea is that the world's reverse, where defining your defining any character by just their relationship to another character is bad. And in the real world, that tends to happen to women, so it's bad for them. But in Barbie Land, it happens to the men, and it's bad for them too. It's once again almost like any Correct. sort of archy based on gender <laughs> is bad. So. You know, the cans are miserable because they're defined by being with Barbies. And, you know, there's the whole wrap-up where they're they trying to talk through things, how things are complicated. And this is when the ghost of Ruth Handler shows up again. And I know you want to talk about Rhea Perlman. Yeah, so when, at the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. when they had the, like, opening credits, mm-hmm. um, they had Rhea Perlman, Perlman mm-hmm. appear in the opening credits. You know, she's listed. And I turned to you and I went, you did. what the fuck? Rhea Perlman? And so Rhea Perlman plays what we later find out is the ghost yeah. of the creator of Barbie who has um, taken up real estate in the Mattel headquarters. And yeah. Will Ferrell's CEO character is just like, yeah, it happens mm-hmm. <laughs> about it. Which is very funny, but she um, connects with Barbie uh, and kind of just like shows her uh, what it is to be a woman. And like, you know, it's because Barbie says she wants uh, to be human because she doesn't. After this, all the other Barbies kind of want to go back to their old roles because they all have their Dr. Barbie, this, the other Barbie. The Kens are going to figure it out. There's like a joke about how they get. She is stereotypical Barbie. She doesn't have a thing. There's jokes about how the Kens are going to get a couple circuit court spots. You know, they're going to work their way. uh, uh, (laughs) Yeah, they're specifically not allowed on the Supreme Court. (laughs) 
But the, the specifically because of how poorly they manage the government. Interesting, yes. America. So the stereotypical Barbie is she doesn't have a place really anymore because she's seen the world. And so she gets a glimpse of what it is to be human, to be a woman, and because she wants to be a woman. And I think that that's a very interesting... This That's not how I expected the movie to end. I did not expect the movie to end with her deciding... It's only to say that the movie ends with her becoming human, but her like saying, I want to be a human is a very interesting... It, 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 it's not just like, I want to be a human. It is, I want to be a human and I want to be a woman. Mm-hmm. You know? And and that is, I think, a very important going back to, um, you know, relatedly going back to our earlier discussion about Hari Neff, um, uh, you know, like a and 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 uh, trans characters in this movie, like um, it is she is deciding I'm going to be a woman, and I, but you know, in addition to saying I'm going to be a human, and that's a very specific thing because that's. That's a that's a loaded you know that's like, that's a minefield um, uh, as as a man, and, and I think the I think the thing that I found so moving about it is that it is a movie that starts off imagining a world where all of the problems that women face are not there, but I think that. And it's like, oh my god, we're going to be so great if they said yada yada yada. And then when Margot Robbie's Barbie is confronted with the real world, she's so angered and she hates it. But I think that she sees through Mm -hmm. Gloria and her daughter and the other things she experiences that like, oh, the the stuff that's great about Barbie Land is kind of surface level. Like, although there's pain and anxiety and existential dread, the... We don't actually want escapism. Like, that's actually... If you have the choice, it's actually not, you know... Yeah, that, that it's it's, oh, worth, I mean, it's worth being a human. Escapism, escapism is never the 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 right choice in the end. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and I'll, I'll come back to that part. But like this movie, look, I had astronomical, like un unmatchable expectations mm-hmm. for this movie. And watching it, I I had moments of disappointment. And mm-hmm. to be clear, they were moments of disappointment in relation to these like ginormous expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm talking about like, God, I, ugh, God, I'm kind of disappointed with Barbie. I'd give it a nine out of ten. You know, mm-hmm. like that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. This final scene, specifically with Rhea Perlman, and, and like it is an almost like Dumbledore and Harry Potter mm-hmm. in the final Harry Potter movie mm-hmm. kind of scene, like where they meet in this ghostly King Cross station mm-hmm. scene. Um, it 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 is what has solidified this movie as hands down going to be one of my favorite movies of the year by the end of the year. Yeah, it's um, it, it's it's just so. And if well it's done. not, it means that this is one of the greatest movie years yeah. ever. You know, like and so, that scene and Rhea Perlman specifically, mm-hmm. like just really knocked it out of the park um, with this. Um, and, and it's it's a really brilliant scene. You know, there was there was a screenshot going around Twitter recently about uh, an an article, uh, an interview with Greta Gerwig back in 2018 about how she was planning two spiritual sequels to Lady Bird, mm-hmm. and. 
obviously those movies were lost to the world. Yeah. Like what she was planning at that point, it doesn't exist right now. Maybe mm-hmm. that'll happen again. Who knows? And, and I saw lots of people and I tweeted about this. Um, I tweeted this, but like lots of people bemoaning like, oh God, we lost these movies. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw someone that I, you know, saw a mutual of mine that was like, that's, you know, not in this community. So I don't feel, I don't feel bad saying this, but like being like, oh God, like two of the greatest films ever made no longer exist but like little women and barbie exist yeah little women and barbie and lady like greta gerwig greta gerwig the closest example we can compare her to is jordan peele right like they are these younger filmmakers who started the same year um with their first films and they are they've only made three films they you know they're still very new they're they're doing kind of similar moves you can't say about Jordan Peele's films the same thing you can say about Greta Gerwig's films that they are like they are a part of a spiritual story altogether. Mm-hmm. Like the story of womanhood and girlhood. And again, I'm saying this as a, as a as a as a man. Um, I understand, although I am gay. Um, but like it is a fucking amazing the story that Greta Gerwig has told over these three films over the last six years yeah and i think that it's all very life-affirming and i think that that's a thing that we don't get it feels like there's too many people who are serious filmmakers who um they don't um they don't want to tell that that obviously there's plenty of spots in places for movies that are depressing because the world can be depressing and i don't think that (laughs) wait what I don't think that Greta Gerwig's films are like naive. It's just I think that she her movies are no. all reaffirming the beauty of what it is to be alive. Um, and so I love that. Yes. And, and the um, way that this movie ends. So oh. I was gonna say, yeah, yeah. Can we can we make this sure this movie hit the ends end with possibly the greatest final line in the history of film? So it's one of it's it's for sure one of you know in the in the halls of greatest final lines. So. Oh. She Barbie goes to real. Barbie, Barbie, she's Barbie really, yes. Pinocchio's herself. Yes. So she goes into a building, a big like a Mexican office building. And she's she, dressed. She's just so fucking sharp too. Yeah. You're like uh, you're like and like this oh bitch. is this a job she's interview? To, is this a? She's about to fucking slay every and anything she encounters and right now. So she goes up to a front desk, gives her name, uh, handler Barbara. She takes Ruth Handler's last name. Uh, she because Barbie of course is name for Ruth makes Handler's me, daughter. You know. Makes me want to just like melt into a bottle, yeah. but yeah, yeah, yeah. And the person asks, "What are you here for?" And what does she say? She says, uh, "And I'm gonna misquote it, but she says, I'm here for an appointment with my gynecologist.'" Yes. Uh, Boom! End of the movie. Yeah, it's like um, it's amazing. That is the most. I can't believe I, that that's that, the movie ends. Of all I can't the, yeah, that of that's all the, the things. <laughs> I cannot believe Greta got to do that. Yeah, I can like it every other fake. thing I can understand. It feels fake talking about it right now. It feels like the joke, like, it feels like after 20 minutes of trying to think of a line, the joke line you come up with, you know, like the joke ending mm-hmm. of like, let, mm-hmm. let's end with a joke about how now that like, that, that of all the things that they could reference in the final scene of now that she's finally actually yes. human, like, but the thing we're going to reference is now she has genitals. <laughs> Yeah, now yeah. she has genitals because that is, you know, 
halfway referenced earlier. Wait, I have one. I have one thing I want to know. I realized I forgot to say my favorite line in the movie, which is when Barbie is crying, saying that she doesn't feel beautiful. That like you know after she in her crisis, and the narrator comes in and says, "A note to the filmmakers: If you wanted to make this point, you should not have casted Margot Robbie in the lead role." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's great. That it's really blew off the doors. Helen and Helen Mirren, Helen, the damn Helen Mirren, really, uh, yeah. really sells that super well. But more than anything, I want to thank you for coming on this Barbenheimer pod, and for you know, I hope people are still listening. Of course. Um, I was not intending this to go three hours. AC, I don't think I'm sorry. But uh, Springthrow, people are still listening. Where can people find you on Twitter? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Springthorpe Man. Mm-hmm. Or on Instagram at Springthorpe Man if you're hot, or as of Thursday, thank you to Jake Christie. You're welcome. On Blue Sky at Springthorpe Man if yeah. you're gay. I don't even know. Blue Sky is like I'm. I, I want it to be. I wanted to succeed, but the energy of so many people. Blue Sky, so if you're a dweeb ass nerd. Yeah. <laughs> um anyway you can follow me on twitter at the j christie um follow me on blue sky at j christie yada 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 please follow the show on twitter at mc university pod follow us on yes. instagram we're doing more stuff on instagram yes. our youtube page yes we're uploading most of our normal stuff onto youtube um mm-hmm. and yeah we're really trying to blow out other social medias just in case uh real quick, when real quick. You, i'm sorry you, you're gonna listen you're just gonna listen yeah to, to, to the black guy. Well, I mean, well, I'm, not, I'm not recording video for all of this just because this would be too long. Um, no, no, I'm, I'm not talking about us yeah. right now. I'm saying, yeah. I'm saying, I'm talking about Rod. Like, I'm going to be honest. Don't yeah. record this shit. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like Rod's, Rod's the, Rod's the, Rod's the recent story is yeah. what we're talking exactly. about. Exactly. So go on YouTube, uh, baby. And make sure you join our Patreon, patreon.com slash mcuniversitypod. It's $3 for Mm -hmm. all of our episodes and for the Discord. And then $8, Mm -hmm. or sorry, $7, you get some extra bonus goodies um, that are all laid out on the site. And more important than that, rate, review, subscribe. Uh, We'd love hearing from you. Hope you guys enjoyed this. I do. I I personally do. I get all the letters. Yeah, exactly. If you uh, watch both of them, thank you. If you listen to all of this, thank you very much. And more important than that, tune in later this week as we talk about the season finale of Secret Invasion. For Michael Springthorpe, I've been Jay Christie. Have a good one. Bye.